Alex. Yo, Steven, what up? What up, dude? Long time no talk. Long time no talk. I had a feeling I'd talk to you again, though. Yeah, man. I've I've peeked at your, you know, checked in on you on Facebook every once in a while, seen seen your your adventures and uh, uh, which has looked enticing. I put in my uh, headphones. Hang on one second. Yeah, no problem. Are you there? Yeah. Yes, sir. All right. All right. Cool. Yeah, I've cool done beans. the same. I've done the. I've done the same with you over the years. When was the last time we talked? We met the first time at uh thousand hills in roswell i believe coffee yeah. shop and yeah. i think that was 2015 is that sound right i'm not sure i okay. oh you know it had to have been it had to have been because i can i can pinpoint that time because i remember i went through this like like really uh dr- i won't call it traumatic i'll call it dramatic breakup with somebody and yeah, I was right yeah, when I was 35. Yeah. So, yes, in, yeah. In <laughs> Florida, right? for like a year. Yeah, man, that was some crazy shit. So I just, uh, yeah. It, 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 yeah. You know, it's funny how it's funny how that can happen. You know, even we were only in a relationship for like a month, but it threw me off for like a year afterwards. Yeah, know, dude, of, so. I, know that, I know that game. <laughs> <laughs> I know that game. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to like... Uh, I don't know. It's funny. I was having this conversation actually last night with someone about like, um, I don't know, maybe this sounds a little like, I don't know, woo-woo or I know it's not going to be too woo-woo for you, but I don't have like a profound way to say it. But it's like when you expose yourself to other people's energies, uh, you know, you can get you can get drawn in pretty quickly. Um, oh, yeah. And if that all of a sudden gets taken away, it's uh, it can be devastating. Um, it makes you it makes yeah, you feel like yeah. adrift. Um, it's a different. It's, I don't yeah, know. If, I I feel like. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I um I don't know if it's like best to just like abstain <laughs> from <laughs> exposing yourself to other people's energies. That doesn't seem right. But that's I mean that's basically the situation I've found myself in, and I'm sure a lot of people have found themselves in. You know, throughout COVID, is like. Um, I love being around human beings. I love uh, like vibing off of people's energies and kind of riding that energetic wave of, of, of being around humans, but I'm not going to lie, man. It's, uh, it's kind of nice to have the stability of like just worrying about your own kind of energetic journey and not, yeah, there's not the hot, there's certainly, there's not like the highs of, forming yeah. a new exciting relationship or being around uh, exciting, fun people. There's not that highs, but there's also not the lows, which, you know, which is what you were just referring to about like that breakup you went through, you know, there's none of that. It's I've been saying like throughout quarantine I, and my current situation is pretty quarantined throughout these past several months. It's like, I'm a steady emotionally like six and a half out of 10. <laughs> and I never yeah, really did right. much lower than that. I never go much higher. I'm just kind of like, I'm not sad. I'm not particularly happy, I'm, but, but I'm cool. Like everything's cool. I, you know, I have food on the table and a roof over my head and it, I live in Southern California. The sun's always out. So I'm good. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, like, it's like, I'm, it's like, like a little bit less than good, but a little bit better than okay. Um, exactly. Maybe exactly. Just, yeah, yeah. So, um, and 
so in terms of your podcast, are, when uh, you're not, rec- are you recording right now? Yeah, I'm recording right now. Oh, okay, so so this is this is the so whatever I say, I should commit to, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, that could cool. be a fun. All right. <laughs> no, no, that I just should just be know. your way of operating in the world. <laughs> yeah, get into character listen, now. It, get into character now. It it, <laughs> it almost it, it almost always is, but I've um I'm in a I'm in a pretty strange situation. Uh, that anyways, I could tell you about some other time. But to, to what no. you were just saying, I I made a decision. Um, I've been celibate and. And no relation, no intimate relationships at all for four and a half years. And so um, since that, since basically that, that breakup. A little, well, you know, it had to have been, so after that breakup, I got in a relationship for about 10 months. Okay. So, um, and then, you know, and it, it, right after that breakup. So I, so the last time we had coffee, it was probably right before I hit the road and yep, it was okay so i hit the road was living out of a tent and i was real depressed yep. and about a month into the road i ended up meeting somebody and then you know over the next couple months we sort of we got it going and um so i did that for about 10 months and you know we had a lot of love for each other it was really intense it's fun but it was also you know i mean it was whatever you know like it's just like story of my life it was all over the map and i was just like I, uh, I, you know what I realized? I was like, it was exact. It was a couple of things. One of them was what you were just saying. Like, I feel, I want the stability of kind of being in control of like, like I, I just feel thrown off when I'm doing relationships yep. and like, I'm all, yeah, like all over the place. And I was like, I don't like that anymore. And it's not worth it to me to do that. And then I was like, I'm 35 or 36 and I've been in what twenty relationships, and all of them have failed. So I I don't want to keep doing things that I fail at. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah, and so, and, yeah. And so I was just like, and then I the big realization for me was that means I can't have sex with anybody because right. I know look look a lot of people can have sex and do it in all kinds of varieties of relationship formats or casual sex, not me. I have sex and we're in a relationship. That's, that's been the story gotcha. of my life. So, mm-hmm. so that was like, I have to actually just commit to stopping that completely, including like all forms of affection, unless I can sort of get to a place uh, where I'm emotionally different and could handle it, but I'm not there yet. So anyway, so I, I had to, to do that. And that was the thing that kind of freed me from falling into another relationship you know like right. now that i wake like now that i know that that's just not something i do i never take another step when i meet someone and there's like that energy you know like i've got really around it so yeah yeah it's, Dude, I mean, it's hard fascinating I'm not gonna lie. i immediately <laughs> i immediately am ecstatic that i reached out to you to do this because that is exactly the type of stuff i mean that's that that's fascinating to me okay so how is that how has that been like are you able to compare your life experience? And I know there's other various variables involved always in life other than just romantic relationships. But like, what is your, what has that experience been like versus, you know, the previous 30, 35 years, whatever it was of, you know, or I guess not 35 years, 20 years um, of, of, of being involved romantically with people. 
do you find uh, do you find yourself happier? Uh, do you find yourself more stable? Is it like what I was referring to just now with the quarantine thing? Like there's no highs, but there's also no lows. Like four and a half years. And I, quite frankly, I could see myself doing something like that. I mean, I've, I've kind of done that for the past nine months. There's been like hmm. two, okay. two or three little, like just kind of like spontaneous rendezvous that just kind of came out of nowhere. And I am the type of person I can turn it off and on. It can just be sex for me. Um, yeah. But honestly, if you would have told me when we, if you would have told me I would have gotten nine, ten months, essentially with really no social interaction and virtually no romantic interaction, I would have told you, dude, I will lose my mind. I'm going to go insane. <laughs> I'll, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. going to be running through the streets with my underwear on my head. Like, there's no way I'm going to be able to do that. And, but like I said, dude, it's been, it's been all things considered totally fine. And I'm perfect. Yeah. Honestly, this is these past nine, 10 months have been, and I've said this before in the podcast, it, these past t- nine, 10 months might be the longest period of sustained psychological stability of my entire life, essentially. I mean, other yeah. than like elementary school, where it's just like, you know, elementary school was fine. And then right kind of when I entered adolescence, I had, you know, I felt like I started to lose my mind a little bit. These past nine, 10 months with very little to consider outside of my immediate little bubble here has been very stable. So has this uh, four and a half years. Really interesting. Very interesting. I, I'm Honestly, I'm shocked. I'm truly shocked. By yeah. It. And like now that um, in conversation with the people that I live with, we've kind of, We've made the decision that it's cool for us to take at least a little step outside of quarantine. And for instance, like I am, I'm entertaining the possibility of like maybe starting to date again. And I've been talking to a few people. I haven't gone on any dates, but even that, like re-engaging in that and the type of energy it takes to set up a date and go through the small talk and, uh, you know, wade through those shallow waters of any beginning relationship is I'm like, ugh. Fuck it, man. <laughs> I don't just, just go back into quarantine or whatever. So, how has your how has your celibacy experience been? Has it been a positive or a negative? Yeah. Well, uh, look, it's it's been overwhelmingly positive. But let me let me just say, I wow. think it's cool that you're thinking through, through this stuff because one thing I discovered was, you know, at least in my experience. I never got like a message anywhere or a cultural signal that, you know, choosing something like that was something that was even like possible. It was like all the signals were like, obviously you do relationships, you do it until you find the right one to marry. Or if you're polyamorous, maybe you do it in a different way, but it was like, like all the cultural signals were built around, you know, life was about relationships and particularly intimate relationships. For so, sure, yeah. So it, it, it took me until I was like 35 or 36 to realize I don't have to do that. Like there's a whole other, you know, thing I could do. And now, now that I've gone this other way, I've also found, you know, like good literature out there from people that talk about this, about, you know, choosing to be alone and not for religious reasons, but doing it for other reasons. And, um, and frankly, I mean, you know, I think people, you know, it's sort of there's this myth that like, oh, people choose to be alone to the, to, to like be a rugged individual 
honestly, for me, like the choice to be alone was I just can't emotionally handle relationships. It's it's actually that, and when people are like, well, you can do all of the, the work, the depth work and resolve all that. And it's family issues. I'm like, I, I don't like working. <laughs> I don't really want to do the work actually. <laughs> Like, like I, I, I work hard enough, you know, like I, like, other right. people, like, like, I don't need not, another job. I mean, most or whatever. Of, Jesus. And, and, you know, and like, so, so I don't, I don't like the stress of that either. And, you know, so yes, it's been overwhelmingly positive. The thing that's tricky is learning how to be alone and not to be overwhelmed by loneliness. So I've developed like right. a lot of strategies for this and it's taking time you know like i i, I wasn't i've had to get the hang of it so right for me to get to the point where i could just be like i'm done with relationships i had already had to do a bunch of kind of practice like i've spent a lot of time in nature by myself and tried to figure out how to be with myself without that kind of stuff and then since i made the decision i've had to kind of maintain that practice like when i have waves loneliness, you know, I have strategies of things I can do to not make a stupid decision, you know, like to just hang in there. And so that, yeah, that, that, that's really helped. Um, I plan to do it for the rest of my life. I mean, I don't know if I will, but I'm, you know, four and a half years in is a long time, you know, and look, I'm a sexual being, so that's kind of hard, but you know, and I might, I don't know. I've been learning about other relationship formats and I'm interested in exploring that. I'm just not there yet because I, I don't really trust myself. So I, um, around that kind of stuff, but but yeah, you know, like it's, it's, I mean, Alex, like for me, at least like I, ever since I was a a young teenager, at least like I've I've been an artist in one capacity or another. And that's what I want to be doing in the world is just engaging with creative arts and that's what gives me the most fulfillment. And it's hard to do that and uphold all these other commitments. If you're, you know, right. a lot of artists are just really intensely focused or obsessive about what they're doing. And right. part of that is having a lot of, a lot of control over one's time. And right. So, so I just see that as superseding, you know, the, the, uh, the kind of commitment I'd have to make to an intimate relationship. I mean, I know that there's artists out there that do intimate relationships really well and they, they give a lot of space to each other. But like I said before, I don't do well with all that. Like if I get into an intimate relationship, space hurts to me and all that stuff. So anyway, so it's just like, I've I've realized all all these things over time. I've set up like, this is how I want to do it. And then I've, I've erected really stiff boundaries. Like I just, Mm -hmm. I know that I don't, I don't pursue things past a certain point and I just, and yeah, it's it's been better. It's been good. So my first, my, I have a ton of questions. My first question is you kind of just alluded to it right there as you were, as you were finishing. Um, so you have had situations where you've met someone, encountered someone and you feel, you know, you get that feel. It's an indescribable feeling like, Oh, there's a connection here. And once again, it's an, it's an energetic connection and you felt yes. that, or you felt an attraction, be it physical mm-hmm. or uh, otherwise. And you tell yourself, no, 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 Stephen. <laughs> like tread lightly. Uh, we've been down this road before, and you hold back. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I've made I've made a mistake around you know having some uh, uh, affection, nothing that was even not even like kissing, but like touch and stuff like that, like holding people 
And even that is too much for me. So that was a good learning lesson. I can't even do that because it, it just, it triggers. Wow. I don't know if I, yeah, activates too much for me. So, so yeah, so yeah. I have, I've, I have had it. I mean, but you know, like, I don't know if I could have done it in my twenties. I mean, by the time you're totally. 35, you've had a lot of relationships, you've had sex with, you know, a bunch and it's just kind of like, then I could be like, okay, well, I've got a lot of this out of my system. Is this something I want or not? You know, um, where right. in my twenties, I think I was still really trying to understand my body, like what brings me joy, like what I could offer somebody. Like I had to really realize I cannot offer somebody the kind of commitment that is sort of culturally uh, 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 expected. Uh, uh, expected. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, that ain't me. So, anyways, and no, no, you know, I go ahead. No, no, no. You go. You go. Well, I'm just gonna say, I, 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 you know, I've been hurt, but I also hurt. I hurt somebody pretty bad, you know, in my early 30s, and and that was a real wake up call to me. Like, man, this stuff is like. It can be magic. It can be poison. There's a lot of energy in it. And I, I don't actually want to hurt somebody either. Like where, you know, like it sucks to be in a relationship where the love is flowing one way and, you know, like on both sides, like where somebody else yep. is like, look, I'm not, I'm not interested in you. You love them. But also when you're not interested in them and they love you and like you have mm-hmm. to hurt them, <laughs> like that really yeah. sucks. So I don't, I just don't, really? like, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's a lot more traumatizing than people give credit to. I think a lot of there's a lot of emotion, collective emotion floating around where people have been heartbroken a bunch in their lives. And some people that's really devastating. And this format of going through five, six, seven heartbreaks in your life or in a decade, this is new in our culture. Now, it's better totally. than sort of what we had before, which was like, you know, very repressive and oppressive. But I'm not sure that this whole way of doing things where it's like, you know, go out and date everybody and have sex with everybody and figure out. I'm not sure all that stuff is is, is the right approach either. <laughs> yeah, you kind of like stumble into your late 20s, early 30s, like battered, bruised and broken and like right. <laughs> so so tired and fatigued that like the next even semblance of a of a stable relationship, you're just like, all right, fine, I'm like. I'll stay with this person forever because I just don't have the energy to like <laughs> you know, right. get back out Tired. get back out there in the marketplace, you know. And I think everyone it is it's like this. Um, it is it is like this to from what I can see, and I hate speaking like authoritatively, but everything I, I say in this podcast, I feel like I'm always offering the caveat that it's like, listen, I don't I, I have in kind of the impetus to start this podcast is like I'm entering adulthood. I have no fucking idea what's going on. And what I do mm-hmm. see going on is kind of like the typical paradigm for adult existence in Western society. It doesn't, there's a lot, a ton of it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And a lot of it really doesn't mm-hmm. resonate with me. And paramount mm-hmm. among mm-hmm. that is like this kind of uh, monogamy, marriage, life partnership uh, structure that pervades our entire existence. And, and it, and it, and that marriage like reproduction child rearing thing is it seems to be like the ultimate goal of all of our existence which that makes sense in some sense right like we need to like keep humanity alive (laughs) but also it's like it's 2020 we don't have a shortage of humans like we could probably go (laughs) 
we could probably go without, you know, a significant portion of us not pursuing reproduction or marriage as like the singular focus of our existence or the primary, not singular, but the primary focus of our existence. I don't know, but it seems like everyone is still in that model. And to me, it doesn't, at least right now, I feel like I do want to have kids, but the whole concept Mm -hmm. of marriage and life partnership doesn't make much sense to me. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, I don't, I I don't know. It's, it's, I look at life like this ball of clay. <laughs> I'm starting to develop this image of life, like existence being this ball of clay. And particularly in the Western developed world where our um, survival is kind of a given and we kind of operate under this notion that like birth to retirement is kind of a given. It seems, I, it seems like life is, you can mold this ball of clay basically into whatever you want with some like limitations of physics. Uh, But -hmm. in order to mold that ball of clay into something, it requires concerted effort and concerted like exertion of energy. Um, Mm -hmm. And so for instance, if you want to become a doctor, you need to exert your energy in a focused way on this ball of clay and turn it into the shape of a doctor. But at the mm-hmm, same time, mm-hmm. if you want to start a if you want to start a family, then you need to like cut the ball of clay in half, and then also start building like the shape of a family while building the shape of a doctor. And for mm-hmm. me, what I'm noticing is like I shoot my energy off to make the shape of a do- of of a family, and it all j- and it sounds like you're having a similar experience. It all just kind of like explodes into a bunch of little clay pieces that now are just kind of scattered around the floor. And next thing I know, I'm like trying to sweep them back up and I'm apologizing for like crumbling the clay. I didn't mean to. I'm sorry. And it's like after time and time again of doing that, I'm like, man, should I really even be, why do I keep trying to shoot my energy off into creating this like romantic form, whatever form it takes? Um, maybe in what you have done, maybe I should just like bring all of my energy back to me, kind of restart from fresh, like turn this ball of clay back into just a, a, a spherical nothing and, um, fo- fo- like, um, reconcentrate all of my energy into very specific paths. Like I can't, I can't scatter my energy that, that, in that, uh, kind of diverse of direction. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. It seems, it seems um, like, uh, but I don't know if a ton of people are very conscious of that in, in that sense. I feel it seems to me, and I don't mean to be critical and I don't mean to like, I'm not trying to hate on anyone. I'm just offering my observations of my life experience. It seems a lot of people are marching down that uh, formation of long-term romantic monogamous relationship path, sheerly out of um, like historical momentum rather than uh-huh. out of like, uh, genuine reflection or like, um, yeah, like genuine silent reflection on who they want to be and what they want their, you know, singular, unique life experience to be. It seems like people are just kind of marching in the footpaths of those who came before them rather than taking a step back and reflecting on, wait a second, is this actually how I want to invest my finite time and energy here um, on this on this rock? So... I don't know. It's, it's very, this is why I want to talk to people like you who are, and I didn't know any, I didn't even know this whole celibacy thing before I even picked up the phone. Um, mm-hmm. it's very interesting that, that you have. Um, so it's, mm-hmm. it's fascinating to hear you say that. 
And it's also equally fascinating because we came in contact um, because of more of our mental health history and a shared um, desire to explore alternative ways of treating the mind or alternative uh-huh. ways of viewing psychology and psychiatry. And that's how we connected. Right. And, and since uh, over the last five years, um, I've kind of gained a relative sense of psychiatric stability as far as the pills are concerned. Um, mm-hmm. And so I was very interested to see, like, where this conversation went. I do want to touch on that stuff, obviously, with you. But it's interesting that the first um, thing that you bring up is the celibacy point, because honestly, that has been my most recent life revelation is being, mm. you know, involuntarily in quarantine all of a sudden, but realizing like, hey, I'm totally cool not hanging out with girls or like, you know, not having, you know, uh, sex or whatever. Um, it, it's very mm-hmm. interesting that we've had these, par- we continue to have these parallel experiences, all, although they come yeah. they manifest in different forms. Yeah, you're somebody that I've, I've had that. I've, only a handful of people in my life that I've, um, you know, it's funny because we could check in after five years and find that some of the same questions, you know, we're posing some of the same questions to ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, look, I think I think part of this, too, like, <clears throat> when you were talking about, like, people, like, d- doing the whole path of, uh, the sort of culturally permissible path of, uh, you know, uh, marriage and kids and a single family home and that kind of stuff, you know, that's still like the overwhelming option or reality that people grow up in and see. So I think part of it's just having other paths. I mean, when I think back to being a kid, you know, my family, loved, my mom loved nature and that was really cool because that helped me connect with nature. And I was also in the suburbs and I didn't really have an understanding of nature, but it was like reading when our high school teacher introduced us to Henry David Thoreau and reading someone right. that went and lived in the cabin. Now, I mean, that's a really problematic story because he wasn't really in the wild, but that doesn't matter. But learning about that opened me up to, wow, this is another path that a person can take. And then I had right. the, the idea was out there. And I think part of it's like all the, with the information age and all this stuff, you know, all these paths are now there on the internet. I mean, yes. in a very real yes. way, like you couldn't even understand other relationship formats a hundred years ago. I mean, it was just the, right. the concepts were not there for a lot of people. Now, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people, I should say the relation format that we have in the mainstream United States is actually relatively new. It's, it's uh, evolutionarily new. It's, it's not probably what our ancestors did for uh, tens of thousands of years. It's not what a lot of indigenous cultures have or had. And, so it is a very peculiar kind of format we have that we take as normal. Like this whole can thing you, about like, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I think you're about to get onto it. Can you, I don't know how much like knowledge you have on the subject. I have no actual knowledge on the subject. Once again, all of my, all, all of this nonsense that I'm spewing out of my mouth is purely based on my own particular experience. I don't have any like actual, uh, like um, uh, academic uh, basis for what I'm saying. Do you, do you know like where, like, uh, what period in time it stems from? Were there any historical like uh, antecedents that led to kind of this modern relationship format that we have? What do you know about where this all came from? Is it biblical? Like, what do you know? Well, yeah, I, okay. So I know some stuff, and I should I should just you know, but I, I I'm a generalist 
in general, meaning that I like to study a lot of subjects. So I'm not, aside from mental health, I don't really have expertise in any particular area. So I might say some stuff that's off. And the other thing is, is that when I do learn about how other cultures have practiced relationships, you know, I'm often learning about it through anthropologists, through the anthropologic gates, and, and that's problematic. I try and read, if I'm learning about another culture, read people from that culture, right? But it's not always the way that I can do it. So, I, I mean, right. my understanding is that, that, that you know, like, that there's been a huge diversity of relationship formats that other cultures have done over time. So, I mean, if you just go back 3,000 years ago, but even even now and even a hundred years ago, but so much now is kind of the genomy of like the, you know, I mean, we, there's like global capitalism in the United States, you know, I mean, like a lot of cultures have been changed or colonized. Uh, so, so, but if we go back, yeah, like, you know, for instance, like raising a child, you know, I mean, you've probably heard the cliche of like, it takes a village to raise the child, right. but like, you know, I mean, but what that could look like, for instance, is things like there's several mothers, in a small group who have just given birth and they actually breastfeed each other's children. And just think about right. how different it becomes when you're, when you're a baby and your entire worldview is not isolated to this woman and this man, but to a whole variety of people. You know I mean? You grow up with a different kind of psychology like that. Uh, I think I'm much more probably secure psychology. Yeah. There was a lot of kind of what we would think of as polyamory, a poly, uh, you know, people having multiple partners of, there being a lot more flexibility around the edges of, of sex, around sleeping with other people. And, yep. you know, my under, my understanding is that the kind of format that we have, the marriage, you know, uh, came from patriarchy. And I don't mean that as some vague social justice concept. I mean, literally, patriarchy means rule by the father. And that was like right. literally a format that happened after human beings started farming. You know, before that, we were hunting and gathering. Once we started farming, the entire structure of relationships changed dramatically. And, you know, people started farming about eight, ten thousand 10,000 years ago from what's known. It could have been further back. And that started to change it. And, and not all farmers are the same. So some farming cultures did a little bit of this and did that. But, you know, the, the format that we've kind of inherited uh, in the dominant kind of Western culture you know, it was, it was ruled by the father and it had to do with passing down land, like land gotcha. ownership. I don't quite understand the yep. complexities of it, but like the whole thing, but, but there still was for a long time, uh, much more of, of a village raising children kind of mentality. And that just got really, has become more and more isolated to where it's very atomized now. I mean, you know, starting with the sort of birth of the, the suburbs and the, mid 1900s in the United States. I mean, now the thing is like a family lives in a house. And I mean, even the structure of a house has changed. They used to be built with front porches because the idea was you, you go on your front porch, you'd see your neighbors. And now they don't build front porches. They build backyards. Everyone wants a backyard, uh. fenced off place where you can be, you know, kind of like have your own space. And so it's really gotten into this intense place of, um, atomization like that 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 you know it just looks like it looks like two parents you know what uh you know in a house with with a kid or two and they do the family in the house and then when they go out of the right. house they're in a different environment and they have to put on different roles and you know i mean that's not how 
communities and societies were built for a long time. You didn't have these like roles that you played. You didn't go to school and put on your school self. You didn't go to work and put on your work self. So, you know, like this, even this, it's, it's just all become kind of compartmentalized and complex and all that kind of stuff. I'm sorry. You could probably hear this helicopter. Maybe they're watching me. No, more. I don't. But um, no, I don't. It's <laughs> okay, all, so far, so good. This is great. I, I'm literally just recording this on my phone. You're on your phone, and I have just like a little call recording app. So, uh, okay. uh, pretty pretty rugged setup. But no, you sound great. Um, when you use the term atomization, that is that like reference to like the nuclear family? Is that is that what you're? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like uh, it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I might be using this the is wrong my atom. That's for... your atom. You're a different atom. I'm this atom type of deal. And it seems like um, I mean, it's, that way. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. No, no, no. You go. Go yeah. ahead. Um, I think so what, what I was going to say back to the, it's. It seems like the to me what would make, just make most sense. Like if um, humanity started tomorrow, or let's just God forbid, like humanity is entirely wiped out and we have to like begin anew. It does seem like what would make the most sense is like we're all a unified community. Everyone's having sex with one another. Quite frankly, you don't even really know who your kids are. <laughs> so, like, maybe <laughs> some right. of them look more like you than other ones do. So That's maybe right. that one's yours because, like, I have a big bulbous nose and that kid looks like he has a fat nose too. So maybe that one's mine. Um, but, like, therefore, like, you treat every, all of the kids like your kids. And like you said, all the mothers are breastfeeding everyone. Um, everyone's having sex with everyone. All the kids are raised. Uh, everyone's raising all the kids in a very like traditional sense, right? The men are providing all of the food for everyone. The women are providing all the caretaking. I'm not suggesting any sort of like reversion to gender roles or whatever, but it seems to me like that sort that sort of system just makes more sense, just like intuitively. I'm yeah, like, yeah, that that would make more sense. And when I think of it this does. concept of like. Oh, you're going to meet one person and because you guys had like a good time for a year or two, you're the, you're now going to make the decision that this is your one person for all of until literally you you fade from existence. Like what wait, you don't know who you're going to be 10 years from now or let alone 10 <laughs> days from now or like why that whole concept of like hey, we've had fun for the past, you know, several months, like let's do this forever and like let's make a like, a, let's sign a contract before the government and make a promise to God. Like, like what? <laughs> like, where did that, that make no sense to me. And once again, I'm not trying to hate on anyone. I'm not trying to, like, be condescending or holier than thou or seem like I have some, some sort of, like, enlightened guru. Just literally, it makes, it doesn't make sense. Like, that, what, where did that, it doesn't, it, it seems totally artificial and fabricated. It doesn't, I don't know, it just doesn't resonate with me on any level. Um, well, it's not so, working well for a lot of people. There's no data suggesting that and, marriage... Okay, yeah, and, so then on uh, top... Uh, yeah, that's the other craziest part about it. On top of that, we have very clear empirical data that, like, what, half of people, this doesn't work? And so it's like, yes. yet we continue to perpetuate it? That's, an, that's, that's when I honestly do start going down a path of, like, psychological instability because then I start to think, like, I'm living in a fucking, like, simulation. None of this makes any sense. I must, I must be, you know, player one in the simulation, and everyone else is running some sort of psychological experiment on me. Like, and I and I know that's not, especially with your mental health experience, those aren't like, 
healthy thoughts to hear or to have. But honestly, when you add when you add like the divorce rate data on top of how non-intuitive the whole concept of marriage is, I'm like, what the fuck is going on out here? Yeah. So. Yeah, Jesus. I mean, absolutely. And it, in at least, you know, in sort of liberal democracies where people have the option of getting divorced and stuff, uh, you're right. The statistics don't bear it out. And it is, you know, I mean, why would we keep doing something that's not working well? But I mean, this is across the board, right? Like, I mean, why would why don't we have universal health care when our current health care system right. is a absolute disaster? I mean, you know, you just look all the data and stuff. I, I, I mean, look, it, you know, I grew up around a lot of like television and movies and, you know, and the Internet. I mean, the Internet's different because it, it can show you a lot of different views. But I just think those media messages are very strong about what something should look like. For instance, I mean, it's not like we're going to have a president who's like, oh, yeah, I'm in a polyamorous relationship. Uh, right. You know, my primary partner is interesting, but like I'm going to have another person <laughs> move in to help take care, take care of the kids. You know, like we're not yeah. we're not even close close to stuff like that. And um, yeah. but 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 we're starting to get some openings, and part of it is because the the current format isn't working. But I also want to say, it's also not working not just because of the format. It's because of the economic pressures people suffer, and also the other all the other oppressions that people face now. That uh, you know, as our society becomes harder economically for a lot of people. And, you know, I, that creates so much stress on a relationship. We don't take care of families. And if we had economic policy that would actually take care and support families and offer child care and, and give, you know, like they do in some European countries, give give a parent like a year off to, to, for the first year of their baby, yeah. all it's paid, you know, all this stuff. Then I think we could have, uh, you, you know, I think we would see some of those numbers change. But um, but right. still, it doesn't it doesn't mean it's the only format and there would still be a lot of and not working out for people. I mean, we have so there's like you were saying earlier about the ball of clay and all these different choices, you know, with the increase in, in, uh, in choices for one's lifestyle, um, that, you know, I mean, even if you never leave your community or anything like that, you can still choose to be a whole lot of variations, uh, because you can, you can learn about this now, you know, like you can see it and be like, you know, I'm not saying that, that anyone can choose to be anything. I mean, there's all these other social factors with that, but, but with all those choices, I, it obviously also becomes a lot harder to commit to a singular choice, basically around anything, you know, like, Oh, I'm going to yeah. do this for the rest of my life. Like that's a lot, yep. a lot harder. And, and I think you have a crowd that sort of preaches like men have commitment issues and, and there needs to be like, you know, like, like sort of make it about that. But I think that takes away, like, like make it about like individual men not being responsible. And there's plenty of that, but I, I also think that really takes away from, uh, and, and I'm sort of, my frame of reference is heterosexual relationships. I should say that. Um, so, but, but it's like, you know, there's a lot of that, but, but I think it takes away from the, the kind of social structures and social pressures too, that, you know, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what kind of person I would have been. Like, I don't know. Like, you introduce Tinder into the world. That's going to have an effect on somebody. It's like a fucking ability. nuclear bomb on the paradigm of <laughs> monogamy and marriage, you know? Seriously. Seriously. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. It's like, it so, seems like there should be, as soon as Tinder is invented, there should be some, like, I don't know, uh, uh, the Illuminati should meet together and be like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> we've got to reevaluate this whole setup. 
Uh, we crossed the line, yeah. This is not sustainable any longer. They're going to catch on. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Interrupted you. Well, so, so I mean, joke. dude, like, like culturally, I think there's just enormous shifts happening for a lot of people, and there's not the blueprints that there used to be. It used to be yeah. for all of all of human evolution and culture that every culture on Earth had elders who handed down the traditions to their children and grandchildren, and there was sustainability. And we're living in a period where our grandparents now have grown up in such a different cultural environment, for the most part, that they, the traditions aren't being passed down. And this is, right. this is probably the first time in human history, absent like cultures that went through severe trauma, that that has actually happened you know, it's such an accelerated rate. So, so and when you don't have the elder, like when the elder, when that's not happening, then it's leaving a lot of individuals and young people to try and figure it out for themselves. You know, we don't know where right. that's going to go. I mean, it's just like a brave new world with that. Yeah. It seems to me like the internet represents this, like, <laughs> like, uh, from like, okay. So from like our parents' generation to our generation, I guess our generation was kind of the transitionary generation, right? Cause you were born in what? 80, 81. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. 80. Yeah. 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 My sister's age. Right. And I was born in 88. So we both grew up without the internet. I didn't have internet in my house until. Oh, two, Oh, one, Oh, two. Um, mm-hmm. So we have like the first half of my life was no internet. And so we're uh-huh. this transitioning generation. It's, it, I love what you just said about like the elders passing down tra- uh, the tradition. It's like, we're all born looking for a path to follow. We're looking for guidance. Um, mm-hmm. We're looking for a template of like, what, wait, what the fuck are we supposed to do here? Like we come out of this vagina kicking and screaming and there's all these bright lights and what the fuck is going on? And then this ball is whirling around the sun at a zillion miles an hour. It's like, wait, what am I supposed to be doing here? And then your grandma, your dad. So it's like, oh no, like here's the 10 commandments. Just follow these and you'll be good. And you're like, right. okay, well, okay. They're not giving you, your, your grandma isn't giving you tips on your Facebook profile, for instance. Exactly. All of a sudden the internet comes along and it's like, 2000 years of human evolution occurred in a matter of 20 years because like all of a sudden we're all interconnected. All of a sudden we have access to all of the information in the history of existence and everyone has it from a villager in fucking Somalia to, you know, the president of the United States, they essentially have access to the same body of information and experiences. Yeah. And then, so now all of a sudden it's like, it's, and this is actually, this is, this feeling that I'm about to delineate, I'm going to connect the dots to the internet here, is actually what brought me to you the first time. When I, when I met you in the summer, I believe it was the summer of 2015, when I was really struggling psychologically and my sister kind of pointed to you as this like kind of um, wealth of experience and knowledge on the subject, um, I was the, my biggest struggle was indecision over like what the next step in my life would be. And it got, you know, the core of that, everyone experiences. The core of that is like, oh, man, um, it's time to graduate college. Like, what should I do? Or like, I'm going to college. What should I major in? Or like, I've graduated college. I've worked in this job for three years, and it's not that fulfilling. It's time to move on to something new. What should it be? That's essentially what I was experiencing. But I think it was, I was, I had just come off 
uh, seven years of being on Prozac and then entered this transitioning period of life. And all of a sudden it felt like my brain was just imploding on itself. And not only was I struggling with the decision, I was struggling. Not only was I struggling with the decision of like, what should I do with my life? I would wake up in the morning and I was struggling with the decision of like, what should I have for breakfast? And that indecision would like compound, 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 compound. And all of a sudden I would, three hours later, I'm staring at a pantry <laughs> and I've like literally spent the first three hours of my day debating back and forth, whether to have oatmeal or have fucking French toast. And, and all of a sudden <laughs> I was like, okay, something's wrong here because now I also am starting mm. to feel like I want to kill myself because I'm doing this every yeah. morning. And it's, it's, you know, this is not, I'm, I know I have this to look forward to every morning and I'd rather not exist than go through this thought process every day. Um, but I think a lot, if I, if I had, if it were 1820, you know, I, my options would have been so severely limited. I don't know if I ever would have engaged in, you know, that like kind of psychological downfall because not only would there uh-huh. only have been fucking milk and I don't know, uh, apples to eat for breakfast, you know, my only mm-hmm. professional opportunities would have been to like, I don't know, join the military or be a farmer. So it's, I think I think this like injection of the digital age into our existence, um, it, it, I don't know. I, maybe it is promoting more and more mental illness. I, it certainly felt like it did for me. I felt like I and it, and it sounds super soft actually at the same time because it's like, oh, woe is you, Alex. Like you're a white guy with a master's degree in the United States and you can't figure out what your next move is going to be like what your next, you know, mm-hmm. 50 to a hundred thousand dollar job is going to be boo hoo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's not what it feels like when you're going through it, when you're going through it, it feels like, that's right. Like I, I'm not even in control of my own mind and I just want to like turn off my mind forever. So yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Dude, I, I love all of that. I mean, I think you've, and and I do think that the, the the nature of one's mind and shape, while it has a a relationship to privilege and and um, it can also there's also you know having a a crazy mind like I used to have a lot of obsessions and ritualistic stuff it got really really severe you know like absent my privilege that was absolutely fucking horrifying and. Um, and so they, they yeah, sorry, right. so the sorry real quick, pain, they, the, real quick, just let me interject. And then once you become aware of your privilege, so like I just said, it's like you're struggling very hard, like you're experiencing very deep, dark struggle with like what your next move is going to be. And then all of a sudden you do become aware of your privilege and you're like, yeah. then you become even, it compounds the psychological state because then you're like, yeah, wait a second. Not only am I struggling with this decision, I'm a little bitch. I'm a little yeah, bitch right. on top of the right. fact that I can't make this decision. I don't even right. deserve to and be even alive. That, Why am I taking up space and oxygen? Well, even that evaluation mechanism, like I'm a little bitch, you know, that's a cultural construct too. I mean, you know, yeah. that, that that's, it's really interesting that um, there's a guy named Michael White who invented something called narrative therapy. And he would talk about, a lot of people we worked with who heard voices. Now, this is obviously not universal, but the voices that people heard were often hostile, hostile when, when they were hostile. Cause some people have all kinds of relationships, including good relationships with voices hearing. But the ones that were really tough, you know, kind of mimicked the state 
the the patriarchal like you're a little bitch kind of state uh right. you know like became a voice in one's head and, and and there is all that kind of stuff it is hard look man working through like becoming aware of privilege working through what to do with that trying to figure out you know what should i treat as an experience that uh that that, that feels really integral to me as a soul and what should i treat as an experience that feels like it has been shaped uh, you know by social constructs and what should you know like like and of course every experience has both of those but figuring all that is is you know it's it's tough and and i and it's necessary and look i think the culture is getting better at that that way of thinking about it although i'm really reticent about some of the ways that activism can be shaming of other people. I just find that format, Oof. you know, Oof. we're going to end up in fucking, we're going to end up in a lot more violence if, if we keep going that route. Oof. So and yeah, pe- yeah, people yeah. would say to me, well, that's just a function of your privilege that you can even say that. Well, it might be, but it's still, you know, what I believe it's, it's the place I've come to. So, but anyways, you know, like all that stuff is really tough to sort through. And like you said about the pantry options, it is very, dis- <laughs> listen, a supermarket, a modern supermarket is a fucking spaceship to, compared <laughs> to the past. Like, you know, yeah. like, what the hell is that? I can go in and get food from anywhere in the world, you know, and, you know, and, and like, you know, I mean, that's, it's bizarre. And so all of this new reality, we're taking the mind and emotional infrastructure that we evolved with. Uh, we're taking that and trying to apply it to something that's mismatched and it's new and, you know, I mean, I imagine we'll get somewhere with it over time, but it's not guaranteed. We might end up in more chaos. Um, I just yeah. wanted to say that one of the things that, I mean, like the, I mean, obviously the internet's good and bad and all that kind of stuff because it it does wonderful things for some people. But one of my real um, worries about it is, uh, you know, just like the kind of neoliberal capitalistic economic structure the internet is a it, 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 just like that economic structure has been kind of exported all around the world um often through violent means so that p- almost every society now has an element of capitalism in it right uh i'm worried oh, yeah. that the internet tends tends to make it tends to promote a kind of universalism like 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 a oneness of culture and um you know, so that if you track, like, so you can see this in like physical structure, what I was just saying about the economic stuff, that you you travel to other countries, like a lot of the infrastructure, like the buildings, the stores, the the ways people talk, it's becoming more and more uh, homogenized. It's, you know, Dude, it's the like way people go, talk you, is one that is terrifying me. I, I, I yeah, interact and with I'm really, people both via text and, and face-to-face, and I'm like, what I know that's not your own words. Like, and, and people are using the same kind of <laughs> phrases and words and like, anyway, go, sorry, I interrupted. Go ahead. Well, yeah. And, and, and so, um, look, if, if I just look at nature, what nature values is biodiversity, meaning a diversity of species. That's always the tendency of a natural ecosystem wants to diversify. And there's a lot of reasons why, and like, I love talking about them, but I won't go into it, but there's a lot of reasons why. And, and so what we need the internet to become is something that if it's going to connect all of us, we need it to somehow promote diversity, 
not just of culture, but, but neurodiversity of, of mind, of emotional diversity, of all kinds of diversity, so that we have more diversity as the end result rather than less. And so I, I don't know how we're going to get there because it's not tending towards that right now, but that's a, that is a big challenge, I feel like, for, um, for, for the generations now, is that we have to figure out a way that this kind of global connection is not going to try and turn people all into one thing, which is often based on, you know, white supremacist ideas. You know, I mean, this is where some of the the language coming out from Black Lives Matter and like in, in hitting the pot is, is very good in a lot of ways, obviously, to to try and end racism. But getting into the particulars of like this monolithic idea about how we should relate to each other, how what kind of economy we should have what we should do in the morning, what we should do in the afternoon has been very shaped by race, has been very shaped by gender, all that kind of stuff. So we got to peel all that back and figure out, you know, how, how, how can this connecting force actually allow for diversity to flourish? And I'm not sure how we can <laughs> Yeah, I don't need it. It, 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 yeah. it seems it, it would... Go ahead, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. No, 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 because no, you're on your no, thought. No, no. You're on your thought. Even on the left wing, go, go, go. This is your podcast. I talk plenty on this thing. You go. Well, I just thought, like, like, so even in the in the U.S., like, so, so we, like, you know, you have left and right and, and these kinds of things, and you know, like, one of the things that everybody takes for granted, not everybody, but a lot of people in dominant culture take for granted, is that you know, it, it is uh, that we can just ecologically do whatever we're doing. Like, so this, this culture is being exported everywhere. It says that we can turn forests into houses, that we can dam rivers to get electricity, that we can divert the flow of water to farm, that we can uh, uh, plow over a, uh, a, a meadow to raise cows on corn, that we can do X, Y, Z. And there's just an expectancy that it's going to keep working, that there'll be water in the tap, that there'll be food, you know, all this stuff, right? And we're, we've surpassed ecological limits, but now we're feeling it. And what I'm saying is that format for thinking about nature is horrifying, and that is being exported everywhere because the capitalist, neoliberal economic model we have does not say anything about the rights or value of nature except to look at it as resources that can be converted into goods. And this is where right. I learn a lot from indigenous peoples, especially of of Turtle Island of the Americas is that, um, you know, indigenous peoples have held this kind of knowledge that that shit ain't going to work out for, for since colonization. Right. And so, you know, mm -hmm. those voices are really important to my way of thinking about the world because anyways, I just worry, we're going to end up with a global uh, view of ecology. That's going to look at ecology just as resources. And it's just not going to work. Even the fucking climate change people, they're way too focused on carbon. They're like carbon, carbon. So we'll just have more solar panels. No, we all need to be using a lot less in the first world. You know, yeah. like it's yeah, not yeah. going to work out to just switch all that kind of stuff. So I, I want to, I don't want to see this global culture. I don't like this one, oneness kind of thing. I think it's a bad idea. <laughs> I, here's what I was, um, it, it would seem like the internet would automatically promote that diversity of thought of diversity of all, yeah. of all things, as you were saying, like that is, yeah, the, yeah, that is how nature tends. You would think intuitively like, Oh, everyone has that. Everyone has essentially access to the same information. Everyone essentially has access to their own platform to share their own unique perspectives. 
But as you said, it doesn't seem now that we're like, I don't know, how many years are we into like the digital age to like internet is ubiquitous, I don't know, 25 years, maybe 20 years. For me personally, it's almost 20 years, you know, so over a decade for sure. And it, but it seems like there is a uniformity of thought, or if you want to take it just from a political perspective, there's a duality of thought. It seems like mm. there should be an infinity mm. of thoughts rather than a, you know, either a monolithic structure of thinking or, you know, a, a two sides of the coin. It seems like there should be infinite sides of the coin. What, what do you mm. contribute that to? And, and uh, like, I'm going to push you in the direction of commenting on like cancel culture and that sort of thing. It seems to me like there's like, there's almost this fear on the internet to say, it seems like there's two camps. Like you need to be politically correct and like perpetually like, infinitely open-minded and respectful, or you need to like give everyone the middle finger and tell them to fuck off. It, you know, uh -huh. I don't know. It seems, but it seems like kind of can't as far as like the digital communication. Maybe this is just where my uh, uh, social media network is is. Maybe it's too suburban heavy or too college educated heavy or whatever, but it seems like the winning um, narrative or the dominant narrative uh, online tends to lean very left. Maybe I'm just interacting with the wrong people or whatever. But regardless, it's, it's either it's either dominantly left from my perspective or it's you know left and right. It doesn't seems like there should be a million different perspectives, you know, That's or right. literally literally. Seven billion different perspectives, you know. So, uh, what, well, what do you I attribute that the, to? The, I think the monolith is because the internet is subsumed and run within global corporate capitalism. Right. So, in other yeah. words, Facebook is an American company that yep. operates by economic principles. Yeah. So, so all of the algorithms and all that kind of stuff is going to shoot down from there. And, um, and, and so, and, and it's hard to see this sometimes. I mean, it's kind of invisible because it's just, you know, the way we think about business and all this stuff is normal. But so I don't know, like, so the internet wasn't run by the economic system we had. And if it wasn't run, by the way, by like more, but uh, by, by the state in the way that it's run in China either, um, then, and, and I don't know how it'd be run, but I, th I believe the originators of the internet or the people that got onto it in the nineties, you know, they, they didn't they wanted it to be run by people on the ground. Like the, it wouldn't fit into all those structures. And now that's becoming those structures. It's just become much more monolithic. Um, and yeah, look, I mean, we got two political parties basically. I mean, there's other ones, but you know, other countries have a lot of different political parties. You, again, just like that whole relationship thing, it creates other avenues of being able to think about the world. Um, almost all political parties in and at least in Western democracies, start with the assumption that capitalism has to be the way forward, which and capitalism on its own, to me, is not necessarily harmful. It's just that it, does, it has to say something about nature at the foundation or else it's going to always be harmful. And um, but anyway, so yeah, in the cancel culture stuff, and, uh, I don't know what to say about all of that. I've spent a lot of the last few years trying to wrap my head around uh, those debates going on. I mean, there's times where canceling somebody has felt good to me. 
I guess, look, I'll say this much. I've come back in the last year that um, I am a a 100% free speech advocate. And again, this is, people would say that's part of my privilege and it is, but it's still what I believe that I I don't, I believe that the way to the best relations is not to censor speech. Now, if a college wants to, you know, revoke somebody coming there, you know, I have problems with that, but that still isn't the state doing it. But the state-run university right. has a different thing. I don't want I don't want the state messing with our speech, right? Like any way, right. like like just like if if Facebook censors somebody, that's still not the state, right? Um, right? And I'm not saying I support Facebook doing that, but but I but I kind of do on some on some issues, and um, but I don't want the state. So so you know, um, I think more. Um, you know, I believe the classic trope that. That's uh, disinfectant is sunshine. That more speech yep. uh, is is what is what we need to get to a more tolerant society, not less. You know, so that's where I stand on that. And with the canceling stuff, look, I won't listen to Michael Jackson anymore. I mean, he raped, you know, kids, and that's a decision yeah. I make. And I don't mind. I don't mind if his music publisher stops publishing his music. You know. That to me, you know, again, that's a that's a decision that's not made by the state and all stuff. I don't care. What I care about is, are you throwing in as part of this just a, an enormous amount of arrogant shaming? Shame yeah. has a social function. It's it's good to shame some people. Uh, you know, like like you need shame in a society to operate. There should be things that we look at and say that's shameful. However. It, 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 I feel like it could be done better than we currently do it now. The way that it's being done sometimes, I feel like it's so um, unidirectional, intense, and frankly, arrogant that you're yep. not going to get the outcome you want. You're just going to piss somebody you're gonna off. You're going to get the opposite so outcome. Go That's right. So I'm worried about that. And I, I you know, but, I, but I understand why people are fucking angry and rageful and, and doing all of that. But... You know, I yeah. I don't know. Like in the last year, you're hearing in the mainstream at least that people are talking about this more. Like, you know, there was this letter in Harper's Magazine about free speech, and yes, there was problems with it. But there is like the sort of uh, the elites are starting to say publicly, this is a big problem if we're going to get to the kind of culture we want to have. And um, last thing I'll say is, I mean, it obviously doesn't help that we have an absolutely abominable person in the White House who who you know like. Like shows kids, if you listen to even like a, a 10 minutes of a speech of his, that like the, the, the right thing to do is to, you know, to denigrate other people and to yeah, be yeah. hurtful and to go for the gut. Yeah. And, and it's just disgusting. Yeah. So we got, you know, I never, I never thought about like role models at that level because I was pretty anti-authoritarian most of my life. I still am. So I was just like, ah, you know, I never thought about the importance of like, dignity coming from those kinds of public figures but now i think about it a lot and i see that that's that shit is really 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 important like it's very important yeah. that we have someone as you know yeah showing that kind of stuff and yeah so. yeah that's my biggest concern with all of it. i try to stay absolutely out of politics altogether when i graduated college and my first few years post-college i was as liberal as you could fucking get man like i was marching in the streets for all of the traditional liberal colleges for those first three years out of college college i lived in phoenix since then i've really since then as i've moved into adulthood and like nothing makes sense to me i've really made a conscious effort to get away (laughs) to any sort of political attachment whatsoever because my only guiding thought every morning when I wake up is, 
I have no idea what the fuck is going on, and it really doesn't seem like anyone has knows the fuck is going on. There is no one at the wheel of this spaceship careening through infinity, and how could there yeah. be? And there shouldn't be. And actually, really yeah. kind of making a certain effort to like find peace in that notion that like, hey, we're all there is no boss, there is no god. We're all our own little individual gods and in, like the heavenly kingdom we want to make here on earth. Like we all should have, you know, equal say in, in this situation. And so, and when mm -hmm. that manifests itself like overtly politically, right on, you know, different perspectives on political issues, I'm certainly not a Trump supporter, but I don't, I truly genuinely do not hold any animus or look down upon anyone who is. As long as you're not, like, overtly espousing, like, hurting other people, i.e. your Michael Jackson example, like, that would be an example to me where it's like, okay, yeah, let's cancel this motherfucker. He's raping children, yeah. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. But if it's like, oh, you're super into guns, and I, I'm not going to take a position on any of these things I'm about to say, I'll, I'll stay, I, and I truly am kind of neutral on all of them. I really, like, I, I, who am I to uh -huh. fucking know anything about public policy or, like, imposing rules on other people? But, like, you know... Say you're pro, if you're pro-life or pro-choice, I tr honestly, genuinely don't look at you any different on either one of those spectrums. Mm -hmm. If you're like, get rid of all the guns or you're like, everyone should have an AR-15, honestly, I do not look at you any different. If you voted for Trump or you mm -hmm. voted for Bernie, I truly do not look at you any different. But the mm -hmm. thing where I am like, come on, man, this is not helping anybody is like just being an asshole. Like, you yeah, can believe whatever correct. the fuck you well, want, but don't just be, don't be a dick about it. You don't have to be, like, mean. You don't have to be a mean person. Believe whatever the fuck you want. Believe that, you know, all humans originated from Adam and Eve, and anyone who has an abortion is, like, a grave sinner. Fine. While, like, you know, firing your shotgun in your backyard. That's totally fucking cool. Live your life. But don't be an asshole about it. Don't try to impose your views on people, and don't, like, denigrate other human beings. That's the big concern for me about all of this, like, once again, I'm saying, well, I, I, I wouldn't give a shit if Trump was president if it were just, like, whatever, I don't know, I don't follow this stuff, I don't know if he has, like, specific espoused policies and, like, a political platform or not, or if it's kind of just, like, a whole pro-wrestling stick. I, I don't follow it closely enough to really be able to know. But let's just say Trump adopts, like, uh, you know, the standard Republican template on the issues of the day. And that's just him. If our president is a Republican and he's uh, espousing, you know, right wing stances. Okay, cool. Whatever. If that's what the, if that's how the election shook out, so be it. Cool. Fine. Who cares? Well, obviously people care, but like, don't be an asshole about it. You don't have to be a dick. You're setting an example from the very top. And like you said, it starts with children. Like children are looking up to the student like, oh, in order to be like powerful and successful, you got to be a fucking asshole. It's like, ugh. Yeah. And, and it, it just is, oh, it's a Pandora's box. I mean, look, I do have a lot of anger, rage, and, and, and frankly, animosity towards uh, people that are subscribing to a political paradigm right now that, in my view, is very uh, oppressive. But here, here's the thing. So I've got all of those feelings and thoughts, you know. And, um, and the thing is, is that then I got to strategically think about how do I want to express myself and build relationships with people so that I can get to the world that I want. And maybe right. that is sometimes like, like, you know, like a, a really fucking intense 
pushback, but a lot of times too, it could be that I don't want to act from that place. You know, that, that I, I spent a lot of time in Republican towns and stuff like that and have a lot of conversations with people. And, you know, sometimes I can have these conversations where we have some connection and I can find a place to talk about my political views in a way that somebody hears it and it's not being shouted at them. And, you know, I think right. there's a role for that. I mean, there's probably a role for all of these different kinds of things. I just, you know, and there's just a lot of emotion in the air that's, you know, I mean, yeah. there's a lot of people hurt, hurting from racism and from poverty and from sexism. And Trump, you know, has 20 rape accusations against them, um, some of which pass every bar for, you know, legal validity. And, you know, right. and, and, you know, this is our, you know, so it's like I, this is the most powerful human on the planet. <laughs> I want him canceled. I want the motherfucker canceled. But the problem is, is like you said, 45, 50 percent of people like him. So so I still got to live with these people. So so, yeah, so how exactly, you, you know, how are we going? Yeah, you got to pick your battle together? there. Yeah. Right. And like, like, and think about it in the way of like, what is the outcome I want? And, and, and what's the best way to get there? Right. Like, and yeah. And I guess, you know, one other thing I want to say too, you're talking about like, um, I mean, you're talking about like figuring out for yourself, like who you are. And, you know, I think, I mean, there's real tendencies right now to try and fall into herd mentalities. And again, 1000%. And there's a usefulness in it. I don't think it's always bad to have the pressure of a herd to try and get people to conform. I think there is actually a social function for that. But I think a person should also has to be understanding that if they're going to subscribe to a herd, does that really, you know, like, is that really what they want to do? Does that resonate with what they actually think about the world? It's, you know, I didn't start about a year ago. I realized, man, I have a lot of thoughts. That I don't think I've actually independently thought through. I, I have a lot of mm -hmm. thoughts. That I think that I've heard things and I'm just sort of saying them. And so I think there is a task, you know, for like really trying to evaluate, to try and use critical thinking and feeling things out and learning about other cultures and how other people think about things. And then being like, okay, I've got all of this. And, and how am I going to put this together in a way that feels like it resonates because I think there is something to this, like resonating with, uh, with your body. Some people might say your intuition, or your, your intuition, and your and look, Dude, that, that can be off. I mean, your, your intuition could be off, but yeah, but you know that's other, that's other work you can do is to try and get it on. But it's just like that resonation. I mean, at, we're we're creatures, individual creatures. You know, we're biological organisms, but we're also spiritual organisms. We're ecological organisms. And we got all this going on in us, and we are a point, a node at which all of these influences come together. And I think our responsibility at that node is to make sense of it from that particular individual viewpoint and to be able to have avenues to express that and to act from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's one, if there's one lesson I've learned as I've kind of uh, stumbled out of the throes of psychological despair here over the last few years. It's like, dude, quit thinking so much <laughs> and like <laughs> yeah, you guys that re awesome, rely on how <laughs> shit. Like, quit using your trying to use your brain to guide you through life. Uh -huh. And and I know it sounds like super Pollyannish and woo woo, but like rely more on your heart. 
or for you know a little bit more of a descriptive descriptive way to put that like rely more on how it feel on feels does when when you're confronted with a situation or a decision or whatever how does that like mm -hmm. does that make you feel good does that make you tense up mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. like what just to just to offer an example of that one thing i've i've done in quarantine um like that will, I'm almost certain will continue for the rest of my life that has been a super positive result of quarantine is like uh, messaging on my phone, text, message. I, I contacted you versus via Facebook Messenger, uh, emails. You know, there's all these different apps, WhatsApp. It's like, dude, those fucking messages. And I'm not, you know, I'm not some like mover and shaker in the business world who has a ton of contacts. You know, I have a group of close friends and I'm a friendly guy and in quarantine, it's not like I'm making, and during COVID, I haven't like met a whole bunch of random new friends or anything, but still all day long, it's just like message, 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 message. And every time message come in, in the past, it's like, oh, I pick up my phone and I'm diverting my attention. I'm diverting my energy from whatever I was doing. Yeah, that's down right. To yeah, yeah, it's and very I'm, jumpy. And then I'm back, to, yeah. I'm, I'm back to living life. And then a new message comes in and I divert right. my attention. I'm back to, Every time I do that, every time I divert my attention, it feels bad to me. It feels like yeah. um, like uh, like a little tinge of pain, <laughs> like not physical yeah. pain, yeah, but yeah. Some, something it dark, is pain. something not good <laughs> it is pain. inside of me. And so uh, yeah. the only thing I do now is I set aside, it's usually in the morning, I set aside like 30 minutes in the morning, and it's like this is my checking messages time. Uh, and I'm responding to texts. I'm responding to emails. I'm responding to anything over social media. I don't check social media. I never anymore just like browse through social media. If I have a phone call, I'll return it. Um, you know, and that's my time to do that. And if a text message comes back or, uh, you know, what that message comes back during that time, then I'll respond during that time, during that window, that 30 to 60 minute window. Otherwise, see you tomorrow. But I like, yeah. but then inevitably I'll note, and I, I try to turn off all of my notifications on my phone, except I have an iPhone, except like the little red circle, like that pops up that says mm -hmm. like 24 texts or whatever. I don't have sounds. I don't have them like popping up on my screen, but even still, when I go on my phone for whatever reason, and I see like, oh, you checked your text message this morning, but now there's an, a number eight there. I see that number eight and I'm like, Ugh! <laughs> like, like go away. <laughs> like it resonates within me, like gross, like, like scary, yeah. like too much. It, it's like a, like a vampire. Like that little eight yeah. is a vampire of my fucking time and energy. <laughs> and it's, and it's, look, it impair. Yeah. It impairs thinking. I mean, it's yeah. turning us into cyborgs. And, you know, yeah. what you were saying, too, about the, like, trusting your intuition and thinking, you know, one other thing I want to say about that is the way that we think about reality or evaluate something. So if I'm going to evaluate what do I believe about this, that whole structure of language and the way that I have verbs and adjectives together ends up shaping the conclusion I'm coming to. So I think that's another part of it, too, is what are the forms of thinking that we're, we're too reliant on? Like we're, I believe we're too reliant on reason and rationality and logic that we actually need other forms of thinking. I was listening to my friend, uh, turned me on to a uh, Lakota uh, speaker and writer, Lakota Sue and uh, yeah. named Kiyokasin ghost horse. And he was talking about in, in Lakota language, how, you know, they don't, it's not like you have a pronoun I, and then a verb, D, 
do and then uh, announce uh, uh, this. I don't know if this is a noun, but he was saying the whole structure is different. And so that there's like, you're not actually relying on starting with the idea of I, 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 I. Like, and, and so anyways, when I heard that, I thought, God, you know, there's so many other possible ways of experiencing the world than just what we think that you're, because it's so inbred in us. So I think a, a part of the task mm-hmm. is tr- trying to learn and feel out uh, different forms of thinking. I mean, I think, I mean, look, people are running into this now with like science is saying that reason and rationality, like climate change is this many parts per million. And this is what we need. It doesn't work. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. you know, like, I mean, it, it works in some ways, but it doesn't, you know, so like, I think there is, so people are starting to run into I mean, and I found this out with mental health to kind of get back to that, like the whole idea of mental illness, you know, which I was a diagnosed and I'm a psychiatric survivor. I was in hospitals. I took over 20 kinds of psychiatric drugs. You know, I've been through the whole mill, but that whole, the basis of it is that what people should be are reasonable, rational creatures. And, right. you know, that's, that's, a, that's a new idea. That's actually not, <laughs> it's not what, how people should be but like that's what you know it's, it's sort of like uh the argument is that that's how people should be and so we have all these like constructs built on top of that but um yeah i don't know if that got far off track <laughs> no no actually that is dude that is literally i'm a perfect transition. Yeah. no 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 that's a perfect okay. transition is, because we haven't i you know i honestly thought in this conversation we'd be talking almost exclusively about mental health and psychiatry and all of that shit so that's a perfect transition into it it sounds and I, you know much more about this than I do, um, uh, but just real quick background for the listeners. I know I mentioned it briefly. Uh, Steve and I um, came to meeting because I was having – I experienced psychological struggles throughout my life, and then, you know, it's gone – it's been like a roller coaster ride. Sometimes there's good times, there's bad times, there's good times, there's bad times, and I was in a really bad time in the summer of 2015, and I believe my my sister – my older sister went to high school with Steven, and um, – uh, she knew, I guess, probably through social media, thank God, there's the benefit of the internet, right? That, like, you have extensive experience in this and uh, of viewing it and treating it in, in alternative ways. And she suggested that I reach out to you, and I did. And that's that's how we came in contact. Um, and it's, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, we both, um, once again, just intuitively, this is in, in an intuition on my part, my intuition is that, like, trying to, like, I don't know, eliminate quote unquote mental illness with pills just doesn't make a ton of sense to me. And uh, like, I don't know, that seems really dangerous to me. And it always has, even from my Uh earliest struggles, struggles with mental illness when I was like 10, 11, 12 years old, that intuitively didn't make sense. And I'm like, wait a second. So you're just going to, as a child, I was thinking this, wait, you're just going to flood my brain with all these chemicals and hope that Uh you like, morph it into like something new that like fits mm-hmm. society better. So like, wait, you're telling me mm-hmm. my brain is a square peg and society's a round hole. And the only way to make this insertion happen smoothly is inundated with like lab produced chemicals. <laughs> this mm-hmm. doesn't mm-hmm. seem mm-hmm. like a great idea. <laughs> Are we really going to do this? <laughs> All right, let's do it. <laughs> See what the fuck happens. And really that's what it seems like psychology or psychiatry is, and I've said this on podcasts before, uh-huh. my experience with psychiatry is 
you come to a quote-unquote doctor, really they seem more like drug dealers than anything, right? They don't, psychiatrists specifically don't spend much time, like, working through your shit. It's kind of like hearing your problems, and it's like, oh, well, there's been some uh, papers written on problems that kind of sound like yours, and about, I don't know, maybe more than 50% of people have experienced some relief by uh, swallowing all these uh, pills. And so, it seems to me like they're just throwing darts at a dartboard. It's like, oh, you're experiencing this set of symptoms? Okay, there have been other people in history that have experienced a similar set of symptoms, so let's throw this dart at the problem. And it's like six months later, like, ah, that didn't work? Okay, well, you know, there's some new papers out that said that this prevented these people from killing themselves, so here's a new dart. Actually, let's throw both the darts at the same time. What are we doing here? This is my, this is my brain. Like, what? What? And so it, it seems, and then I became an elementary school teacher. And this is when I really started kind of getting scared with it and even getting a little disgusted with myself with it. Because as an elementary school teacher, I would see these kids not be able to sit still and they're running around the room or they're clearly their personality or who they are as a being, right? These are children. It's the purest form of being we have. You know, they haven't had that much time on this spinning globe to like alter who their like pure nature is. And obviously their pure nature is not going well with us asking them to sit still for seven consecutive hours. But it's like, listen, man, you got to sit still for seven consecutive hours. That's the game we're playing here on this globe. So uh, here's some chemicals for you. These will help you sit still for seven consecutive hours. And don't get me wrong. In a lot of those cases, it works, right? Like the Adderall, the Ritalin helps the the little pure angelic child sit still for seven or eight hours. But you can't help but wonder, like, wait a second. Did we just, like, totally mute and annihilate uh some sort of unique creature here to help him fit the paradigm that we're all just kind of marching along with. <laughs> it's like, maybe <laughs> we should, maybe we should alter who we are as human beings, as you're doing with celibacy, as you're doing, you're like living out of a tent or living in nature. We'll get into your exact life experience here, which I think I've made concerted efforts to do is, whoa, this whole traditional uh, societal paradigm we're operating with, I don't feel like I really resonate with it. Instead of like uh, chemically cut or chemically, I don't know, like castrating, it feels like my brain, my essence, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I can fit into the to the like uh, into the box. Maybe I'll just take a step outside the box altogether and look for an alternative path, you know, an alternative mm-hmm. way of existing, rather than you know. Mm-hmm chemically you know, altering my my entire mode of being in order to fit to fit the paradigm very generally speaking uh, and i'll wrap it up here and i want you to take over very generally speaking to tie it back to kind of the some of the topics we touched on earlier i feel like i'm a hunter gatherer i feel like i was supposed to be born fifteen thousand years ago and i'm mm-hmm. supposed to have spent my life looking for berries and hunting wildebeest and like you know like you said, living in a small village, having sex with everyone and not sure who my kids are. I feel like I'm, I'm a hunter-gatherer that's supposed to be living in the woods, yet I was born in 2020, uh, you know, where TikTok is like the coolest thing of the day. And I'm looking at all this, I'm like, what the fuck? How the fuck did I end up here? And wait, I'm supposed to play this game like all these other people? I have to play this game? This game 
doesn't make any sense. Um, and so, but when you're a child and you don't know anybody, you don't have any life perspective, you're like, okay, I guess, I guess my brain is just broken. I mean, that's what everyone's telling me. Yeah. The reason my personality or the reason I'm having these, these thoughts that, um, that none of this makes sense is not because, you know, I, I like, I, I'm a unique being or, uh, this is intuitively wrong. It's because my brain is inherently broken. And if, uh-huh. you know, I just take, I take the pills to fix the brain, you know, then mm-hmm. everything will make sense. And then I can fit into the box and sit in the chair and be quiet like everybody else. I, I don't know. It's a, it's, it seems like a crazy concept. I know it's it a, is a crazy concept. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, what, what, do you think I should just go off the cuff or should, is there something specific? That, what that, that what I would to? like you. Yeah, because I know you have, this is like your entire, this is your entire deal. What I would like you to do, if you could, as best as possible, and take as much or as little time as you need, could you kind of take us through, kind of just tell us your life story here. This is how I thought we were going to start the podcast. Kind of tell us your life story. And then, obviously, throughout that life story, like, you know, tell us more specifically about your mental health story, mental health experience, how your thoughts have evolved. And how you've gotten become a pro, kind of a professional and expert in this world. So can you kind of just start at the beginning and walk us through your experience <laughs> with psychology and psychiatry? <laughs> um, no, but I can I can try and give a, a very just just watered down um, uh, a couple things. I, I you know I just want to say if people are ever interested in any of the work I've done around this, um, I have this website, uh, Stephen with a V Morgan Jr. as in Junior dot com, where I've written a lot about this and also done videos yep. and stuff. So, um, and I can you know in in part of the process of writing stories from my life around this was that I actually wanted to capture very specifically exactly what I wanted to say. And when I completed some of those writings, I've, I, I am weary of going back in time through a lot of my experiences because I never quite okay. get it the way that I want to say it. Um, but, but, I, but, but I, so, so I, so I won't, I'm not going to go into depth, but I'll just say on the, on, on the, uh, I mean, like I said, I, I consider myself a pretty vulnerable person, happy to do depth conversations, but around this particular thing, um, you know, I just I'm careful with it because uh, of all the intricacies and stuff. So, so the writing and the videos and stuff get much more into it. But um, look, yeah, yeah. When I I grew up in the South, in the Southeast, in Georgia, uh, my family's from Mississippi and Georgia. Grew up in that kind of culture, and uh, and then I started to have, you know, I I don't know, at a pretty young age, I started to have problems with obsessions and stuff like that, and I also had um, problems with uh, thinking about suicide, which was all very tied together because I just got tied. My mind was so active and, and crazy making. And, you know, some of that was from trauma, um, probably a lot of it, but people often think about like trauma is, is like the way I think about it, It's not like bad things happened to me and therefore I had a bad mind. I think bad mm-hmm. things happened to me and, and therefore my, I became more sensitive to the world. So I opened up my ability to perceive, maybe because I was watching out more or maybe because I was looking for more depth in reality, but I became more sensitive and open. And um, that was that was very good for my artistic pursuits, because 
I can hear like sounds that sometimes people probably aren't even noticing those kinds of things. But, but it was also very, um, you know, that turned me into, uh, we don't really have, especially in the Southern culture, being a man, there's not a lot of room for like sensitivity and all that kind of stuff. So, so, you know, it was very difficult to exist like that. Uh, I had no outlets for talking about my mind um, and, and cause I didn't have the language uh, long story short, broke down, suicide attempts, hospitals, got diagnosed with bipolar, uh, OCD. Um, you know, a lot of it was, uh, well, all of it was voluntary. I was going myself to try and get help because because um, I felt like I was going to die. So um, I don't have the lived experience of being forced into psychiatry, which is a whole other yeah. way of interacting with psychiatry in the state. And thank God I don't. Mm-hmm. And, uh but I, but I, um, but anyway, so, so, you know, I, I look, I sought out the psychiatric drugs. Um, I took, a, a, you know, I was take, I'd take lots of them at one time because I needed my experience to change. And, um, you know, at a certain point, things got so bizarre in my mind. Um, they, I, it's just like, I'll give you an example. Like I would get lost in tape loops in my head, uh, this is going to sound really weird, but of uh, of Roy Jones Jr., the boxer, getting knocked out. So I would Whoa. see this in my head, and I would have to replay it for sometimes hours, and it would always be there, hovering. This is just one example of kind of what was going on in my mind, and and um, you know, I'd have to p- I keep trying to play it in my head until I saw it perfectly, which of course you can never do. So things like that were really intense, and sometimes they spilt over into very kind of altered realities, you know, and, and having fears about things that probably were not happening in consensus reality and stuff. And it was terrorizing. Um, look, the thing, there are a lot of things made a difference in my life uh, with that kind of stuff. Uh, but the biggest thing was I met, I tried therapy and I kind of hit the jackpot with this guy named Jack who, um, <laughs> you know, when I showed up to see him for the first time, he's like, what brings you here? I was like, I've just been hospital. I'm self-injuring. I'm bipolar. I take all, you know, all this stuff. I did that for like 45 minutes because I kind of learned, like you're saying as a kid, like, like I learned this story that that's who I was. I have a mental illness and, you know, I, apply, I was applying for disability. 1,000%. Yep. Really hard. Yep. So I'm, I'm right. repeating the story that I've received from the state and, you know, and, um, and I, I tell all, this guy all of that, and at the end of it, he looks at me and he says, you know, I'm expecting him to be like, well, you've got mother issues now. And, Hi, Mom. I'm not talking <laughs> about the issues you. But, but, like, I'm expecting him to give me some psychoanalysis. Instead, he, right. said, he said, Stephen, I am a wild man, too. And I was like, what? Like, this guy just told me he's a wild man. Like, so he treated yeah. my experience as, as really valuable. And we did a lot of work with dreams, with exploring uh, hallucinatory stuff, like um, at least in, in the dream world, I was having some stuff like that through, I started meditating and some of that was, was very uh, visually and auditorily active. And so um, that relationship validated me and I could tell him anything that was in my mind. So I told him things. You know, I just told you the Roy Jones thing. Well, I had a lot of stuff in my mind that was very, very uh, uncouth, meaning that it doesn't, you can't talk about it because right. I would be, you know, people, right. So, but I could with him and I really needed uh-huh. that. And so anyways, that all very much helped 
for me to get a, a grip. And I noticed that the more I interacted with my dream world, the more symbols came in my dreams. I had lots of dreams of big animals, sharks and bears and of eels and the animals would come and talk to me. And um, I developed this like really, really potent connection with nature during that time. And, you know, even in the waking life, like my, you know, animals, like I would see more animals. They come, I mean, there was just a lot going on there. And uh, yeah, so that was the start of my journey. I ended up moving from the city to Vermont where I lived on dirt roads and small towns. And that whole way of doing life where everyone shuts off their lights at 7 p.m. And I've got a road I can walk on and not hear another car. And, you know, uh, people help out their neighbors for the most part and that kind of thing. That also, I lived there for, for a long time and, and, um, and I'm still a resident of Vermont. And all of that, during that period of my life uh, helped me become a, 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 a person that could stay in the world, that could do what I got to do to survive and also keep some of my, keep some of the places I'd gone to uh, mentally and emotionally as a part of me, not look at them as like, this is a mental illness anymore because that framework, it worked for a little while. But then it just, it was like, that doesn't make sense because I'm trying to divide my head into sickness and health. And yeah. that's, I, I can't do all of that. All of it is me. And, um, right. and, and so, yeah. So by holding on to some of those experiences and yes, the last thing I'll say is so then the last 15 years I've been working in peer support, like people with lived experience, psychiatric survivors working with others, I've done various forms of it. Um, and uh, so that become kind of became my life, my work mission, I guess, was to, uh, to try and work to create places and relationships where other people having extraordinary experiences could be validated and have a home, a place uh, where, they, where their experiences could become meaningful. And sometimes experiences are not meaningful. Like I said, the Roy Jones Jr. thing, like, what the fuck is the mean? I don't, I don't need to do all kinds of psychoanalytic work on what that means. I don't care. I, I hated that experience. And so there is this, you know, there, there is stuff like that, that is uh, meaningless. However, that same obsessive tape loop process that allowed me, I was doing that became the same obsessive tape loop process that I now put into woodworking and leatherworking and, and trying to create something with it. I can get obsessed and learn something and, you know, really challenge myself to try and make the best that I can. I got to say one last thing. <laughs> is it, um, no, say, say all you want. It, it's great. Is it, is it Alex, Alex, I think if, if our society is serious about reducing what they, what they call mental illness, um, then, then what we need is political, economic, and social change. And we need very importantly to end rape that if we end those things, we're going to uh, uh, see a whole lot less breakdown. We also need to just open the culture's mind to be able to be cool with people having extraordinary experiences and big emotions. And people need to be able to have those and still work in the ways that, that they can provide for themselves and stuff like that. We need to have cultures that are okay with that. I mean, you know, I mean, just simple things like time off, like being able to, you know, like this whole two weeks off a year from work. I mean, people are going to fucking keep breaking down with that kind of thing. And, right. and then they go on disability or whole disability system is screwed up. So we need universal basic income so that everybody has a floor at which, 
they can provide for themselves. You're going to see a lot breakdown. But the thing, the reason why I said rape is so many, in my experience, so many psychiatric survivors experience violence, intense violence in their families or rape as a kid or as an adult or multiple instances of it. And that's been shown over and over in the scientific literature that's highly, highly, highly correlated with what we call mental illness, but nobody likes to talk about it at the, the cultural, you know, like in the mainstream, so they never do. But if, you know, th- th- that is a huge, you know, when people are raped, especially as children or violated with intense violence or neglected intensely, that is very hard to handle. And that can lead, it might lead to you being a much more sensitive, open person. It might lead to other things, but that carries into adulthood often. And, um, you know, it, it, it really, it really hurts a lot of people. And I guess I got to say one last thing. There's still also room too. I just want to, I want to say there's, there's also people who make sense of their experiences through like a spiritual thing. Like, you know, I really, like people really do have connections with the universe, even if they're on a seven day all nighter binge and it looks like a manic episode, what they're experiencing is a reality. And that is right. something that's valuable. So we need to rescue some of that, uh, uh, some of that aspect too, is that, that the, these are, there's actually important things happening in that process that the culture can learn from. So how are we going to build places where people having out their experiences can, can have community, sanctuary, go through them, and the people around them learn something from it, right? And we especially knew this right now with a lot of people being very divorced from earth. And, you know, a lot of people's out there experiences often involve connection with earth. And that voice is trying to come through and it's going to come through the sensitive people. And sometimes sensitive people are people that have had trauma. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes it's just sensitive people. And we need to be making room for that as well. Like this is actually a really important natural process happening on the planet right now. So I have literally been. Uh, do you mind if I ask you a couple follow-up questions? Because I oh, have yeah, sure. a little bit. I've been jotting down notes as you have been talking. It's like so much is coming to my head all at once that I literally just pulled out a pen and a piece of cardboard to <laughs> start jotting down notes. So like, not in this game. The first thing I I want to say, as 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 twisted as what I'm about to say sounds, um, I think it's important. I really like that you use the word rape. Honestly, like yeah. This yeah. whole, the term molestation, or like mm-hmm. use some other term that is like seems like a watered down version of what we're talking about here. It's mm-hmm. we we talk about child molestation or sexual sexual abuse that term as well. Like I get it. I I guess that's like mm-hmm. a more palatable way to say what is happening when an adult forcibly <laughs> has sex with a child, like. Violently penetrates a child, like the word is rape, and I think it's important mm-hmm. that like we use that word or or whatever word like encompasses what it is, like it's something mm-hmm. horrible and cruel and dark and twisted, and its impacts extend far beyond just the violent act itself. Its impacts extend for a lifetime, and not only the victim's lifetime. That victim, you know, I'm sure in tons of scenarios goes on to perpetuate that violence or, you know, goes on to suffer from mental illness, which can then perpetuate other negativity in other people's lives. 
So I think it's super important that we that we we come to some uniform descriptor of that horrible act. And it, it, rape seems like the best one. I, I don't like this term child molestation. It seems to like sanitize it in some way that it's like, yeah, uh, I mean, and a child being let, raped. And let me mean, just say, Alex, go ahead. Let me just say, so, interrupt you really quick and just say um, that a lot of people that do experience that don't go on to perpetuate the violence. They actually okay. experience Sorry. more violence for a lot of reasons. I just want to make that correction because I think that's a really important thing for people to understand is that. Okay. And also, even though it can be something that somebody has, uh, there can be a hangover or a ghost of it for life. You know, I don't want it to sound like people are damned because of that, because people right. change, you know, and, and, and so sometimes, yeah, I just, just but go ahead. I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, I mean, it seems, yeah, it, 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 I, I obviously I don't have the academic background that you do on the subject, but just in my personal experience with other people that have suffered from mental illness, it does seem to be, it comes up over and over and over yeah. again. I think I've been in my adult mm -hmm. life, you used the word vulnerable a minute ago about like your experiences and you're willing to be vulnerable with, with your experiences, even, you know, the, the dark ones. And I, I feel like I've done the same. Um, I've been very vulnerable with, with my psychological issues. And I think that, op I, I know that opens up conversations with people. I do talk to it about, about their psychological experiences. And time and time again, I, I hear from people who have gone through very dark times in their lives that, they were raped as a child. I've, I've heard that so many times. Honestly, to the best of my knowledge, I, I, I was never raped as a child. And, I, and, but uh, because the people I've interacted with that have had similar psychological issues that I have, because it's so common for me to hear that they were, I honestly am like, I constantly am like digging through my brain. Like, am I repressing something here? Is there something I don't remember sure. about some soccer coach or something, you know? And I, I, I haven't come to anything. I don't know where exactly my, my, my issues stem from. But, but anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you, you mentioned that. So if you would point to like, if there's some sort of like silver bullet to eliminate it, obviously not completely in uh, uh, limited complete mental illness from our society, but in your, ex in your experience, in your expertise, like sexual assault is like the number one contrib. If there's one thing that we could change with a magic pill, you know, that would be it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and I yeah. mean, I, I, but, but again, it's so hard to unthread them all because I would also want to eliminate economic poverty. I'd want to eliminate right. violence. I mean, violence right. is a huge Contribute. But uh, yeah. yeah, if I had to pick one thing, uh, I mean, rapists can be so devastating and has such devastating impacts that I would start there. And I mean, listen, we can get we can get a lot. We make a lot of ground on this culturally. We need psychiatry to start saying aloud, wow, rape plays a big part of what of the people of a lot of people's lives who I see. Not everyone, but a lot. And we need to be running public ad campaigns. You see these you know, the, the ad council, the federally funded ad campaigns will, will run some good ads, like about be a friend to someone there with mental health challenges. Good. I like that stuff. We need to yeah. be running much, much, much more direct things uh, about rape and, 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 yeah. and saying it out loud and saying this is a this is a, for, and for for women uh, far more than men, although it's obviously a part of men's lives as well. Um, this is uh happening in at, at rates that people do not comprehend and it's no, extraordinary I, yeah. and it's terrifying and almost all of my women friends have been raped 
And it's not just yeah. because I'm friends with psychiatric survivors. It's just because it's that prevalent. And so, so, you know, so, so that's a big door that we have to open in terms of, of um, there's a lot of researchers that spent their careers, you know, studying this and putting it out there, but now it's got to get into the mainstream, but nobody wants to talk about it at that level. I mean, we're not going to hear Biden, yeah. you know, stand up there, but, but we, that's what we, we need. And then obviously women being raped by men is a problem with men, not with women. And so that leads in all kinds of other directions about men need to be raised differently. We, we need whole different conceptions of what that means so that men do not rape, you know, and anyway, so yes, yeah, yep. that's where I, I would put a lot of attention on that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you just mentioned very generally, you were like, we need, you know, a- a- economic reform or something. We need social shifts or something. And you just said rape. And I was like, it, it, it resonates. It really does. And I actually brought this up on yeah. a podcast recently talking about just the Catholic church. I don't, it wasn't like I was having a podcast about the Catholic church, but it just came up. And like, even when we talk about the Catholic there's this the largest most influential religion on the in the world clearly has a huge fucking issue with raping yeah. children and mm-hmm. when we discuss we, once again it's like i guess people are just uncomfortable with the notion and would rather just not think about it and so instead of just being like whoa what the fuck we need to eliminate mm-hmm. – I don't need to get into – want to get into necessarily controversial religious topics, but it's like, dude, if there were any other organization, like if it were like Amazon or, I don't know, uh, Apple or the Boy Scouts, they probably have their own issues, whatever. If there's any other global organization where this was so prominent, like we'd all be – it seems like we should be marching in the streets to for its eradication. Exactly. I mean, not that people – Yeah, exactly. Not that, and, and the people – I, I, let me just note one thing too. It's also that they've, you know, they've shown that sometimes, you know, when they do these studies, that sometimes close to eighty percent of incarcerated women, women in jail, have been sexually assaulted or raped. And um, I mean, so just think about that. I mean, that's yeah. extraordinary. So, so right. So even for the criminal justice system advocacy, that needs to be a part of the the dialogue too. Um, and like I said, it, there has to be a whole focus on why are men doing this and, and how can we address that, that? And that, you know, again, it ties into everything, everything as well. But, but, but yes, the Catholic Church and these big institutions with rape built into them. And, of course, the Catholic Church is a patriarchal It's like a part of the deal. Organiz- and we all just accept yeah. it. It's like, oh, yeah, that happens with the Catholic or with the priests. <laughs> it's not all of them. So yeah. like, we'll keep going to Sunday service. Like, What? What's going on? Yeah, like, yeah, I'm not sure why a lot of more people didn't walk away from their and it's and um, and the way it's discussed though it's always it's always discussed using the term like the Catholic sex abuse scandal, child sex abuse scandal, like it's like some like religious figure cheated on his wife or something. It's like, yeah, no, No. there are hundreds, if not thousands of men in positions of religious power who are viewed as gods who are fucking right. kids in the ass. Like, right. this is yeah, not so some sort of, like, <laughs> why are we speaking about this so, like, euphemistically in, in like, with, with, like, kid gloves on? Like, let's discuss, let's address this problem head on. Anyway. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and about, it, you know, I mean, and, go and ahead. It, okay, go ahead. 
Well, I was just going to say, we also need to look at power relations there that why do we have a structure in society where uh, that speaks to spirituality, where you have people that are in charge and followers. So this is also with yeah. new age circles, yeah. but you know, why do we have this? That's not actually how a lot of other cultures have done spirituality. Uh, and if they have done it where you have leaders, they're not the kinds of leaders that we, they don't have the kind of power. And so we need to structure that. That all has to structurally change. I mean, you know, I like that Pope Francis, for instance, says some relatively progressive things, but I'm like, give me a fucking break. Are we really like happy that he's come around on saying that gay people should be able to do civil unions? He still doesn't believe <laughs> women should be in charge. Yeah, I mean, this, why does he have this power? Take that shit away. Like, this is not like. Why is that, he that dressed is like, like a power. fucking wizard? Why? Like, why yeah. is. Why did and, he? Have, why and, does you know, his organization people, accumulate mass, like real estate across the planet, and gold and zillions of dollars? And then there's one guy at the top of all of it. Like, what? Is, what is going well, on? Well, and here? and it's it's just completely so. And I know people's. I was raised very religious. I thought about entering the priesthood. So I want to acknowledge these are very deep beliefs to people. But hello, the, Jesus would throw up at the idea of a pope. This is, this is yeah. uh, you know, just read Jesus's words. It was, you know, this was about getting to a society where you didn't have the, I mean, Jesus was wrong about some things with power structures in society. But, but what I'm saying is it's actually not following the words of Jesus to have these kinds of no. power relations that lead to people being able to damage other people. If you take away yep. the power, the ability for them to be able to damage other people, they can't do it. So, um, yep. you know, so anyway, so that, that's a big, yeah. Deal. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it's like a bunch of bad eggs. It seems like the, the institution, the structure right. of the institution itself promotes this sort of thing. I don't think it's like, Oh, it's just a coincidence. Right. I think the way the right. whole institution is organized promotes people. You've got a bunch of people who are cool with not having sex apparently for the rest of their lives. Like why is, you know, mm -hmm. what, what's the antecedent there? And then there's this whole power mm -hmm. dynamic where, like, you're the boss of this whole flock of people. Essentially, do whatever you want. You're the one who has the connection with God. So, you know, you're the man in this situation. And it just lends it lends to some pretty horrific shit, it seems like. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I want to you, – you mentioned this term, and I, I, I'm, I'm assuming we've discussed this before. But honestly, when you mentioned it just now, it, it, uh, I, it, it drew a blankness for me in terms of what it is. Psychiatric violence or psychiatric survivor, psychiatric survivor. That's right. What does that mean exactly? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, good. That's a great question. Um, well, people, people, people who have interacted with mental health systems try and, you know, like, like come to words that try and express their experience. So some people, like I used to say, I have a mental illness. So my word was I'm mentally ill, right? And right. then there's a whole movement of people that call themselves consumers. Like I consume mental health services. Um, so there's that. And, um, and I don't like consumer because I just find that very capitalistic and I don't like, you know, and I don't consume mental health services at least in the way that I used to. So I, I you know, I don't like that term, but that's kind of popular in the mental health system. Like this person is a consumer. Sometimes people will say, clients but it's it, it, so basically it's how does a person want to want to express their experience of having consumer, interface with the mental health sorry to, sorry to interrupt, consumer 
the consumers is that a, another word for patience? Yeah, patience another word. Yes. And c- people okay. say that the word con- consumer is more empowering. I, I don't think okay. so. I mean, I actually Yeah, so so people come to their own terms and I have a lot of thoughts about all of them, but for me, psychiatric survivor while I don't feel like that fully expresses my experience, uh in part because like I said a lot of, you know, like uh I didn't just survive psychiatry. It's, it's much more nuanced and, and complicated. But that is a term that came out of a lot of activism of people who felt very harmed by psychiatric systems, uh, especially people who have been forced into mental health. I mean, that's a very traumatizing experience. And, you know, so so that term carries the weight of a movement of activists who are trying to change the mental health system. So it's, it's for me, the one that feels most resonant because I really want to cha- change the entire mental health system, uh, not, not to provide better treatment. I mean, I'm, I'm at the edge where I want to blow it up and start over yeah. with much more local, local ways of understanding crises and dealing with them. So like with, you said before it, about psychiatric drugs, I mean, you know, we're in a we're in a very very dangerous world with this kind of stuff, and uh, of course some people find psychiatric drugs helpful. I find synthetic drugs helpful for my autoimmune disease. I take them every day. I don't like taking them. They give me all kinds of adverse effects. I need them. However, my autoimmune disease would not exist if we weren't doing industrial capitalism, destroying the environment, right. and creating the conditions. Uh, under which people develop autoimmune disorders, just mm-hmm. like somebody decides, you know, if they're having crazy experiences and they t- take psychiatric drugs, that might be very helpful. I, I have friends that find that very helpful. I totally support that. But why is it that we have a society in the first place that creates, uh, creates it so that people have to do this in order um, uh, to survive reality or, or consensus reality? And so, so anyway, so so I think, you know, so all that's very complicated, but I just want to say to you, you know, when you investigate this whole idea of taking synthetic drugs, like uh, all the psychiatric medications, and I believe it's one in five Americans is now taking them. So, this, I mean, this is like, and they've been exported all over the world. Insane. This is like a, 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 right. It rests on an idea that the body is a machine, and um, in particular, that the brain is a machine, and these are going to fix machine parts. It comes from the scientific revolution and from the Western Enlightenment back in the late 1600s and 1700s, particularly with a mathematician and philosopher named Rene Descartes. He said that the body is like a clock, uh, like a physical clock. It's a machine that's been wound up. And so that whole approach to looking at the body and nature was that we're going to start seeing everything as machine-like rather than soul-like, or rather than imbued or instilled with uh, a kind of uh, animating energy. We're going to see it as a machine that led to the scientific revolution. And so now everyone thinks that your mind comes from your brain, even though we don't have, then no one can prove that. <laughs> they think your mind right. comes from your brain and your brain is operating under the laws of physics so it's just a machine that's wound up. And so therefore, we're going to tinker with the parts. Now, right. an alternative way of looking at the human body and the brain that I think would produce much, much better results is to look at it 
as a conscious living system so that the cells in your brain, the neurons, they are alive. No one disputes that. Those are living beings. And when, they're, when serotonin is getting passed around, that is a cell communicating with another cell. They use serotonin and dopamine as language, as words. So if we approach these, all of your organs and your body as a living being and composed of lots of other living beings, like your brain is a self-organized living being composed of smaller cells, and we start treating it like that, then we'll realize that if we throw in a wrench into that living system, we might get an effect that's going to help but we are inevitably going to get living beings like your neurons are going to start reacting to it. And uh, they want to do their own thing. Just like if you lock up a person that pisses them off, if you lock up a cell that pisses them off. And so you're creating the potential for a lot of adverse uh, experiences from it, which a lot of people experience from taking psychiatric drugs. And so essentially once you kind of came to that revelation, this kind of post-psychiatry revelation, you've dedicated your, that's kind of been the focus, the primary focus for your professional existence uh, uh, over the last, yeah. what did you say, 15 years? Yeah. Okay. Yes. And yeah, so since, I know I'm about to, I'm about to offer a rudimentary explanation here of like this organization uh, that you've worked in. It's kind of, the way I look at it, it's kind of like AA for psychiatry? There's a lot of, yeah, there's, I mean, that, that's a, for people to understand, I mean, that's a helpful start for thinking about it. Is it people coming right, I know together that's very with rudimentary. experiences? Yeah, and like, I mean, one of the big differences is AA is based on monologue. Like, you go there, you tell your story, and, there, and nobody comments on it. And peer support in the psychiatric survivor world is based on dialogue that that we're going to build a relationship together. We're going to talk back and forth and try and generate new ideas about what's going on and ways of being together that feel like they lead to a better life. So yeah, but it's but it's basically psychiatric. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's peer. People call them peers, although that's a problematic term. But peers working with peers, but people with lived experience working with others. And this happens in the mental health system. I've worked in hospitals. I've worked in big mental health agencies. It also happens outside of that system where there's these peer support places um, that I've worked at and helped develop uh, that are run by people with lived experiences. So I was the director of a house where people, uh, psychiatric survivors, and also folks experiencing homelessness, and, and, and basically anybody actually from the community, could come and we did our own thing. We didn't have psychiatry and nurses and all that kind of stuff. We were figured, we were focused on art and food and relationship and uh, being neighbors and all that kind of stuff. So there's that world too, which is basically alternative to the mental health system as it currently exists. Do you, and is, is there any situation or circumstance or experience or individual you've met where that lends support to the traditional notion of psychiatry, that the brain is an organism that, that breaks, either it breaks through time or it's born broken, and that pills uh -huh. are the tool to fix the broken brain. Do you, is there right. any circumstance in which you support that notion? Are there, are there like individual experiences where you see that is a sustainable approach? 
you know, what, what I can think uh-huh. of just off the bat is like maybe someone's went through a recent divorce or a really hard breakup or lost their job. There's some sort of acute depressive occurrence that happened and maybe taking any depressant for a limited amount of time would help pull them out of that dark time. You know, perhaps that's not the best way to do it. Maybe you should figure out an alternative way, but perhaps that's the most efficient and like directed way to do it to like alleviate short-term depression that just offering that as an, as an example, is there any circumstance in which you kind of do see psychiatry pills for lack of a better term as the proper uh, approach? Well, I wouldn't frame it as proper or that people need the pills. What I would say is yes, absolutely. That I see and know of a lot of circumstances where people taking the pills, it makes their life better for the society we have, for the reality that they have. So I totally support that. I, I've never, yeah. ever pushed a view that people should not take psychiatric drugs. I, I feel like these are very big decisions and that, that we should just be framing it very simply. Like, this isn't fixing a chemical imbalance. This is changing your biological organism in a way that you might feel better, right? So it's, a, it's, it's right. not fixing anything, it's changing. And the reason why I don't think it's fixing a broken brain is that we don't have the evidence of that. All of the people that talk about we have the evidence, you go and you read their research, it ain't there. Very, they found very, very small things that may correlate in the brain, all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, I did want to say, though, you know, it's funny with obsessions and compulsions, with like OC, what gets labeled OCD, that's one of the few disorders in the big Bible of psychiatry that actually might have some biological roots to it. And this is very complicated, but it might have to do with strep throat virus and the antibiotics that people take. So they found that a lot of people that develop that uh, had strep throat and they're saying it's probably the virus itself is changing you. But I think it could also be the antibiotics, which are very dangerous, uh, although they have their place um, might be changing someone. So there is a little bit there. And also with, PTSD, like post-traumatic stress, yes, stress changes your your organism. That's because your brain isn't a machine; it's a responsive living system. So when it, when you go to you go through something like let's just take the example of like a war zone, yes, you're biologically going to change, and we can see some of those changes, right? You can see that someone's like amygdala and their brain is impacted by the stress they experience. That doesn't mean that that was a brain. Actually, it definitely doesn't mean that that's a brain disease. That means that your living brain system has responded in a way where it or they, if we're going to use a pronoun for it, they, the brain, is doing the best it can with what it experienced and is trying to right. to get through now. So, yeah. The, so the, the I, I, the, I love biology. Well, I love biology and chemistry. I'm not like totally against the idea that biology plays a vital role in all of this. I just think we've had this problem of biology being seen as a machine where it's not. It's a bunch of living creatures. <laughs> so that shifts everything, right? Then, then all the creatures in your body make their own decisions. And I'm not being woo-woo here. I mean, this is what their science shows. It's, you know, right. this, is, this is, you know, so... And, uh, and, and cells in your body make their own decisions. They're not just being run by your genes. We can take two cells, they put them in the exact same environment, right? So, uh, so two exact cells with the same genetic makeup, 
put them in the exact same circumstances and they act differently. So it's not their genes making them do what they do. They operate, they take in information just like we do and they make their own decisions. Now there's a limit to what they can do. Obviously your heart cell isn't gonna build your brain, but there is decision-making happening. And so anything that you experience in the world that comes through your senses, that comes through your eyes, your nose, your mouth, that comes through your body, is being translated by your cells and your cells are making decisions thereafter about what to do with that. Damn. All right. Sorry. I'm jotting down more notes as you talk. The the strep throat thing, that's what happened to me, dude. I mean, I mean, forget yeah. the whole sexual abuse notion or anything. Me in fifth grade, uh, first semester of fifth grade, I got horrible strep throat and my tonsils got so infected that they actually started like abscessing from my throat. Like they were ripping, they were so full of infection. They started literally ripping off the side of the throat. So by the time they went in to take them out, they had basically halfway removed themselves already. Um, and, but in the treatment of that prior, I was being shot up left and right. I can remember these fat ass needles that my pediatrician would stick in both of my butt cheeks. Like, and they were the most painful needles ever, these giant needles. I remember seeing it being like, you need to stick that in my ass? And I went (laughs) in for multiple, multiple treatments of that. And then, lo and behold, like, by the end of fifth grade, I can't stop washing my hands. I, every time I leave the house, I have to check all of the, all of the locks 60 times. Yeah, and look, I I won't go too far in this, but just a comment on that is that, you know, so so you're you're obsessively washing your hands, right? And why would somebody want to obsessively stay clean? Well, look, our bodies are composed of cells, but there's far more bacteria, and these are living creatures that are floating around in your body, and um, we've shown that some bacteria can change your cellular makeup so that you start doing things like that. So can fungus, and we all have fungus in our body too, can change it. And the reason why a bacteria might want you to be washing your hands is so that you're not bringing in another bacterial colony. Wow. Holy shit. (laughs) So that's it. I think it makes a lot of sense to think about that our consciousness is primarily run by bacteria. Bacteria were the wow. first organisms on, on the planet. They were the first, the first living beings. And over 4 billion years, they've built every single form of life, including a redwood tree, a dinosaur, and people, and including fungus and everything. And they keep getting more and more complex. And, you know, they, uh, they run the show. I mean, there's bacteria a mile high in the sky. There's bacteria two miles into the Earth's crust. We're finding living organisms. They might even be doing things like creating fissures that lead to earthquakes. There might be an intentionality right. between, behind plate tectonics. I mean, they're everywhere. So, anyway, so the bacterial beings, and so when we think about different kinds of consciousness experiences, especially ones that get labeled mental illness, we also want to be holding room for how might that relate to bacteria. It's not that I don't want to, I'm not saying that, I'm not again. I'm not saying that it's like all all difficult experiences should be seen through that lens. I'm just saying, like, so for in, there's just a, there's a big interface. So when we were talking about rape before, well, if you're raped, then your hormone system, which is in part controlled by bacteria and cells, often gets fucked uh, or starts acting. It's not even abnormally. It just acts different because it's try, you know they want to stay safe. 
So you might get right. more adrenaline and cortisol and these kinds of hormones. Okay, if that starts happening in your body, that you start having that different thing, your body is going to devote less energy to stay digestion. Digestion, if you're not, because it's it's focused on this hormonal stuff. If your body is not digesting properly, now you get bacterial imbalances. And so, so now you've created an imbalance and boom, you might have an experience of consciousness down there that's happened because of that imbalance. However, it's still proper to say the problem was the rape, right? It's not that it was the bacteria. Right. The bacteria are just responding. So anyway, right. I just wanted to note note that, the way they all tie Dude, in. Dude, that's fucking fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if any of it's true, Alex. These are just things I've been thinking about the last couple of years. I tried to write a paper about it. I write a paper about it last year, but it ended up being way too wordy. So I might take another stab at it. But uh, yeah, you should. Yeah, dude, you should take things. another stab at it. You should take another stab. Mm-hmm. I understand what you're saying. I, I I understand that notion where it's like yeah, you're trying to put together like a succinct uh, body of knowledge to like help people out or inform people. But there's so much you get to. It's like what as you keep trying to express it, it just kind of keeps pawing on top of yourself, and you get kind of. I, I understand what you're saying. Get kind of overwhelmed with it. But I think you should take another stab at it. Um, yeah. And I mean, I think are, over time with ideas, my experience has been that they clarify and they simplify over time. So like you right. can say something after you've been with it for a few years in, a, in kind of a Zen way where you couldn't in the beginning. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, are there, okay. You mentioned OCD as one that maybe does have like a biological antecedent. And when I hear uh-huh. that, let me. Oh, I'm just going to say some people, my thoughts. It's then, still it, it, yeah. was, it, it would it would still be a, a mine. The evidence shows it'd still be a minority of people. I just want to note that. But so yeah. Okay. And then you also mentioned earlier the the psychiatric bible, and I'm assuming you're referring to the DSM, uh, correct? Yeah. 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 Do you think? Yes. This whole notion of mental illness, right? Like it's once again the traditional notion. Notion is like, oh, people get mentally sick, just like they develop. Uh, hepatitis or diabetes or cancer of some form, just like it's a physical illness. Do you believe? And so, and I think from our understanding of what mental illness is, it's like, oh, you know, you could develop schizophrenia or maybe you're born with it, or you could develop bipolar or maybe you're born with it, or you could develop multiple personality or maybe you're born with it or OCD. Do you believe it all? I don't know. Believe is the right word. <laughs> Talk to me about, this whole concept of specific illnesses. Do you believe in this concept of like bipolar? Like this person is bipolar. This person is schizophrenic. This person is obsessive compulsive. This person is whatever. Do you, be, do you believe in that concept? Like of these actual illnesses that like infect the brain or what it seems like more to me, I'll, I'll express my personal experience and then let you take over. Cause you actually know what the fuck you're talking about is it seems to me that it's like, no, like people are people are born into life and the world we live in is is a crazy world, be it from, you know, environmental pollutants to Wi-Fi in the air to, you know, being uh, uh, having a traumatic event as a child and things kind of go wrong, quote unquote, for whatever reason. And they tend to go wrong generally in the same kind of ways. And so we've grouped these people or we've grouped these symptoms that come in conflict with modern society 
into these kind of like umbrella categories of bipolar, schizophrenic, da, 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 just like you would say like, you know, you know, that person's born in, in that patch of dirt, so they're Mexican. That person's born in that patch of dirt, so they're American. That patch of dirt, so they're Chinese. When it's like, really, there's a ton of individuality amongst all of those people. Well, how do you view this concept of like specific diagnoses? Is that real? <laughs> well, it's real in terms of that people say it. And, you know, my uh, one of my mentors, Sherry Mead, talk about people talk themselves into reality. And so right. in, in a way, these con yeah, it's real in that sense. It's not real in the sense that uh, depression is like diabetes, whereas we've very clearly found something going on with diabetes, like in your blood sugar, and we haven't found anything biologically and, uh, with depression. But even if we do, you know, it's still a different thing because we have to ask why would someone's system, their living organism react or respond in such a way that they start having these incredibly difficult and painful experiences. I mean, I start with the presumption that like you were talking about hunter gatherers, that it's not natural for us to have tons of anxiety and social anxiety. And, and I mean, it's, we should have some, but it's not natural to have OCD. It's not natural to have, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so, so, so these are, these are, things happening that are um that are in a context in 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 a social context like so somebody getting depressed you have to ask what are the social conditions under which that happens but you also have to ask what are the ecological conditions i mean you know in a city and it's loud and you're drinking water with chlorine and you know like you're interacting mm -hmm. with a million people a day it's like, all that stuff you know like it's a big problem so so look, here's how, here's how I'd frame it. Do I believe that there's any validity to it? I think, I think it, it, to me, it's more or less, what is the most useful way that we could understand these experiences? And I don't think the mental illness model is producing better, a better world. I think, it, and there's a lot of evidence that the more the psychiatry has done, the, you've got a brain illness, the worse everything's gotten. And um, right. and they've studied this in multiple ways. So I think it's kind of, you know, yeah, it's valid in, in one way of talking. I mean, you know, you can kind of make something fit into it. Like you could say depression is a chemical imbalance, uh, although they haven't found the chemical imbalance. Let's say they do. Uh, again, that doesn't say why are the chemicals imbalanced, you know, like, like what are the conditions under which uh, an imbalance of chemicals would happen. So, I just think we need like a way better way of thinking about all these experiences. That said, there are peculiar sets of experiences, like what we call mania, that are, um, I feel like, different than um, experiences like anxiety. And that's a whole other thing. I won't go into it. I, I did make a video called Psychosis and Ecology. It's on my website, arguing like what we call psychosis or even mania, that there is an ecological, there's a natural function for that to our species, that our spe you know, and that, and that other species experience it too. So I do think those particular experiences, um, not always, but, but sometimes can be treated as having a different, being part of a different universe than all the other ones that are more common. 
like depression. I don't think there's a natural function. Natural and unnatural. It's a very complicated term. But I just think, you know, like, uh, to me, looking, talking about depression and anxiety and all this stuff should always be held with, like, just these are kind of, these are difficult, painful, this is pain that somebody has experienced because what's happened or what is happening in their life. And, um, right, so we want to help, the, a person wants to be helped with their own pain. But we also have to change all the conditions so that there's a lot less pain. I mean, they showed right. it in, in other country, other countries where there's stronger communities and there's not as much Western capitalism. The people get better a lot quicker when they have breakdowns and they don't have as many breakdowns. So we know that there's something going on there. So anyways, I think we just need new frameworks. I'm not, I'm not sure how to talk about it, honestly. It, I, even though I've been talking about it for 15 years, I, I feel myself constantly changing the words I'll use. Like right. I talk a lot about extra extraordinary experiences right now. Uh, you know, like that feel, I like that word extraordinary, uh, you know, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, I'm sure I, that's recent. That's only in the last year that I would talk like that. Yeah. And I mean, we need, a, we need, a, we, we need a, a language that normalizes these experiences. The problem with yeah. mental illness as a language is like, you're now that person. Right. No, you're you're that and and so that's a very and listen, when you're treated like that person, that's gonna make you crazier. So it has an adverse impact for a lot of people. There are people who say, I love thinking about myself as having a brain imbalance. My life gets better because I think of it that way. I have a mental illness, that's who I am, that works. I I just think that that's not enough people that get benefit from that for us to keep it. I think there's something else, some other framework that could make better sense of it that would lead to more people having better lives. Right. Yeah, I've I've always, I mean, since since I had strep throat in fifth grade, I've looked at myself as a broken, mentally ill person. And even after conversation, you know, meeting you five years ago, really meeting you five years ago was a huge help in terms of me kind of reframing that perspective, but uh, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I still, uh, for the past five years, have viewed myself as like there's something wrong with me. There's something abnormal for me. And it wasn't until recently, actually, when I had a, um, a psychedelic experience when I took some mushrooms and went to the woods, had a had a, nice. had a psil- psilocybin experience, that it dawned on fan. me this notion. Yeah. Okay. I was going to ask you that next. I was going to. I was actually going to be my next question for you. I uh, just about to go on this little <laughs> rant real quick or monologue. <laughs> I had this notion that, like, the mushrooms are telling me, like, bro, chill out. Like, you are not this quote-unquote mental illness. And, yes, those things wow. happened in your past, wow. but that but that doesn't mm-hmm. define you. And I'm sure you um, we'll, we'll hear about your experiences soon, but, like, literally when I take mushrooms, that's literally how it feels. And it's not like a voice in my head, but it's literally like all of a sudden this knowledge from the universe is being – all of a sudden downloaded into my consciousness out of nowhere. And I'm like, whoa, 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 where's this coming from? I didn't, like, I didn't plug my USB port into, like, a, a mainframe. That's what it feels like. And, and the message that I was getting downloaded into my consciousness is like, bro, you need to let go of this notion of yourself as this broken person mentally, someone that's less than or whose potential is inherently limited because you have experienced um, – psychological issues in the past like you are you're alex 
And Alex is a constantly <laughs> evolving being, just like all people are constantly evolving beings. So the Alex who you are tomorrow isn't even Alex you are in this very moment. And the Alex you are in this very moment certainly isn't the Alex you were in seventh grade when you wanted to kill yourself or, you know, when you were 25 and wanted to kill yourself or whatever. You know, you are much more than that. You are, no, you are a constantly evolving organism who is a new person essentially every moment. Um, and that to me was profound because even though I – even after speaking to you and even after experiencing now kind of like a year and a half, two years of relative psychological stability, I still view myself as like this, like ticking time bomb, you know, waiting for the next implosion or whatever. Um, and maybe I yeah. will, maybe I won't, but I still, I still am struggling to um, detach yeah. myself from this identity of being, um, <laughs> a psychiatric survivor now that I have that new term. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. A lot of us are, man. A lot of us really struggle with all of that. I mean, look, the okay. reality is, is that over the, I, I went into an autoimmune flare this year that was, un, I mean, I was hospitalized. I couldn't walk. I mean, like, wow. In, because of literal, not just inflammation, but the pain. And like, I, I don't even, I, I don't, I don't want to talk about it much or, or I don't have words for it yet. You know I mean? It's still a big part of my right. process right now, but but yeah, I got, you know, I was getting better and then I had a big setback and, you know, I hit the suicide wall again. And that was really scary. I mean, I spent a month in a place of, but I have to say it was scary, but I'm also, I know this shit now, just like you probably know. Right. Like, so what I'm saying yeah. is like going, going through it now as a 40 year old man, having gone through it again, I was able to have a different relationship to it. And I knew that the most important thing was not to, to say, go away. Cause that makes right. shit for me worse. So I had to right. really like, I had to reach out for support in ways that I trusted and I needed to understand it and play with it actually. And it was really hard, but, but you know, in that, so, so sometimes, yeah. So, so I don't like the idea of like recovery when people talk about recovery from mental illness and stuff like that, which is some popular terms, you know, I, I don't really like that word because I'm not, I'm not sure that that really gets at the nuance that, you know, a lot of, I think people just learn to have different ways of relating with experiences. Sometimes experiences change and sometimes they don't, but like, what is the relationship that I have with suicide, for instance? And right. when I have that experience come up, what can I do in the world to try and, um, and to stay afloat, that kind of thing? Yeah. Okay. I have a last couple questions here, and we've already just touched touched them on okay. on my on my on my piece of cardboard that I've just been jotting down notes on because who actually uses a pen and paper anymore these days? I can't remember the last time I wrote something down on a piece of paper. Um, okay, so it's I'm gonna generalize here, and and then I want you to correct me if I'm if I'm if I'm off base or if there's more nuance. To what I'm saying, do you or maybe I'm asking a question? Do you espouse then? And this is kind of the direction I'm kind of leading as an antidote to, to quote-unquote mental illness, do you kind of promote a return, kind of a shedding of all the garbage as I see it? Like almost like a, like a life minimalism, a shedding of the social constructs, a shedding of the per, like perpetual professional pursuit, the per, profession, perpetual romantic pursuit, um, more, uh, much more of a, a literally a return to nature, a more simplistic, rustic way of living. Do you 
uh, and I know, I don't know, maybe you can only speak for yourself personally, perhaps not. Perhaps you have, you know, a broader body of evidence from other people who have done the same. Is that how you kind of view your, like, an, an effective treatment, for lack of a better term? Like, instead of pills, like, go, you know, go for a hike type of thing? I know that's a very rudimentary way to describe it, but it's like essentially a return to nature kind of your personal approach and approach that you would suggest for others? Well, I, you know, I won't make suggestions for other people. I, I've okay. learned that, I mean, God, you know, when I found things helpful, like sometimes I've done videos, I did that with my autoimmune disease and people are sometimes like, oh, I want to try that. But I've always found that like, there's this tendency if I found something helpful to try and sort of be like, everybody needs to do this. And I've sort of eaten my, my, uh, my foot with that. And I, um, right. So, so I, I don't know, but I will say, look, I mean, personally, yes, my connection with nature, walking, uh, now working on communication with plants, uh, spending lots of time near water, um, you know, showing gratefulness and, and curiosity towards uh, the natural world and just noticing the natural world everywhere and and I, I've designed my entire life to maximize that. And that me that's one of the reasons why I decided on celibacy was that um I didn't want to be taken out of that in any way. And um yeah. so or, or, so so for me, yes, that's it's 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 the most important part of my life being all right. And um that said I am, I mean, and I won't go down the bunny trail because it's just way too big of a topic, but I am like, uh, in terms of my ideology, the way I think about the world, the way I think about society, I am mostly anti-civilization. <laughs> now, the reason why okay. <laughs> that's a very, that's a very intense thing to say. So <laughs> it requires a lot more nuance. It requires a, not, a lot more nuance, but what I, it, but the, and so, so, so anyways, I said, and I said mostly because, because nobody knows the future, but I do believe right now that the project of civilization of, uh, of kind of large scale farming and then organizing human beings into cities um, is an ecological catastrophe that is going to run its course and that, mm -hmm. th that we actually don't have a solution. It's like if there's a river that has a hundred gallons of water and your city needs 200 gallons of water, it ain't going to work out. And that's kind of what's happening right now. And so in that regard, so I think the project of civilization, which we've been doing in some form or another all across the globe for 10,000 years, which has had a lot of collapses of civilizations, there's very few that you could say have sustained um, and for various reasons, including colonization, but also because of pandemics and because of food shortages. But a lot of it has been because a lot of civilizations have overshot the ecology, meaning they've, they've ruined the soil, they've cut down too many trees, all that kind of stuff. So, so this model hasn't really worked very well for a lot, for, for uh, you know, and it's a new model that we've only been doing for 10,000 out of a hundred thousand years. I don't think it's sustainable. And um, in that regard, Yes, I believe that we need cultural, social, and political change that starts with uh, understanding ecology, nature, wildness, understanding the planet as a living 
organism, understanding the relations. And a, a lot of this, I believe, should be indigenous-led. A lot of indigenous cultures have the covenants with other species, like the covenants with the buffalo and the understanding of plants and the understanding of, you know, the what's called the honorable harvest, that you don't take more than half of a bush or, or of, a, of, a, of, a, of an ecosystem because you leave some for the animals. And just a completely different way of thinking about human beings' place on the planet. I'm in favor of more transition towards uh, systems that honor uh, ecological processes. And I don't think that civilization can. And I made a video called The Problem of Cities. I talked for an hour about why. But, you know, the, you know in a nutshell, I just don't think we can have it both ways. Uh, you know, we, we're either going to have Phoenix with all of the Colorado, not all of it, but a lot of the Colorado River being dammed and their water being shot over there, which depletes the ecosystem, which depletes the, the water cycle, which screws up the carbon cycle, which screws up the way that other systems get their rain, all this kind of stuff. We either have that or we can have a hospitable planet. And um, I'm in favor of the hospitable planet. It would mean the most radical shift of societies and of, of dominant societies in history. So I think that would, yes, and I think that would produce if it was done well, which I'm not sure that shift could happen well, but let's say it was, yes, we'd have way better mental health. <laughs> you know, people would right. be way happier. Yeah. <laughs> I'd just be like, you know, way happier. And, you know, I mean, look at animals. Look at how wild animals in their niches live. They're not miserable fucking slobbing around and cutting themselves, right? Human beings mm -hmm. do do that. And, you know, mm -hmm. there's... A, there's this, there's a, they put a, they did these experiments on chimpanzees, chimpanzees, they put them in cages after a week in a cage by themselves, this chimpanzee starts cutting themselves. These are like, Whoa. this is what happens when we've, we've built cages all around, around us. And so I, I, um, I don't think our natural disposition is towards misery. Um, I think a life that's ecologically sound can be harder in some ways like you really face ecological limits. Like uh, you hit a drought and people really are going to die. I mean, people die right now from drought, but I mean like that's like technology has solved some of this, but it's always temporary fixes. And they always have what's called a progress trap. This guy, Ronald Wright talked about, you make progress in one area, like we hit a drought. So therefore we're gonna dam the Colorado river and take from it. Right. Great, we solved the problem for now, but we can't make water. I mean, this has right. a limit. You can't keep doing that. And we have 84,000 dams in the United States diverting water. We've screwed it all up. So anyway, so, so yes, yeah, so, so there's some difficulty in it, but I think people's minds would be a lot better in, in, a, in a world where we were in ecological reciprocity. I love that. Speaking mm -hmm. of people's minds being a lot better, um, I had a question on, let me pick my brain real quick. So I feel like I had one more follow-up question about the ecology of things. Um, maybe it'll come back to me. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, na uh, people's minds being better and nature being kind of this anecdote. What is your experience with plant medicines as a potential effective, mm -hmm. uh, 
treatment of quote unquote mental illness. And I know I keep using this mental illness term, but the more and more I talk to you, the more and more it seems like a ridiculous term to use. <laughs> but you know, just for the sake of the for the sake of the conversation. So what is your experience with plant medicines? Are there are is there medicine that exists not, you know, created by GlaxoSmithKline? Are there medicines for the mind out there in nature that do exist? Yeah, I mean, look, for me, I, I use uh or I have a relationship with Kratom which is a plant and I've been using it for five or six years and it's vastly improved my life. And, um, and I also, um, experiment with, uh, psychedelic, uh, medicines from, from plants or from fungi that, uh, give me altered states that make my pained body a lot more, um, <laughs> habitable. Like I can live in it, my body a lot better, but they also expand my mind. And so those medicines, and, you know, look, I mean, five years ago, if I was saying this, everyone would freak out. But now the mainstream is accepting that psychedelic medicine is having huge impacts in improving people's lives. There's all these studies about it. I've done some stuff on, again, on my website, this is some stuff on that. But um, so, you know, I mean, that's all, that's all, that's all becoming mainstream. But I, look, I did a lot of psychedelics when I was younger when it was still taboo. And that was, that stuff vastly, vastly improved my life. And, um, really when and, you, you know, were younger, so obviously with, oh yeah, yeah. I did a lot when I was in high school, but um, I imagine that but in high I, school know, using psychedelics that there was more of the impetus was more recreation or no. I, man, listen, well, certainly my relationship now as a middle-aged man is very different than it was. Right. And I have a, what, what feels more responsible, but honestly, I wouldn't take away any of the experience that I had in high school. Look, I, yes, recreational, like I've, I did some of it at concerts and sometimes with, you know, I do a lot with friends, you know, and we right. would, uh, we, we laugh all night. So there was a lot of that, but look, that psychedelics back then, and I would do them in big doses, which I'm, I'm not, I don't want to do now in my life. I totally respect people doing big doses, but I just didn't, uh, back then I would do the big doses and it's hurt. You know what it did for me, man? I'm growing up in the suburbs you know, I, I've got all kinds of uh, mental experiences and feelings that I don't really feel like other people have. Uh, the questions that I want to ask about the world, like I don't even know what those questions are. Something feels off. Um, occasionally I want to kill myself. Things are hard. I lost, you know, like was drinking a lot and, uh, you know, I used to be popular and then I'm not popular. I'm suffering, suffering that, you know, wondering what it means to be a man inside my skinny you know, non-muscled body, you know, wondering Mm -hmm. why I I had no, no girlfriends in high school wondering, and I'm heterosexual. So I wanted, when I can, you know, like all this stuff, right. Like, um, feeling very, psychedelics were like, there's another world out there. And I felt like I was onto a secret, like things are not stable. I remember being at somebody's place where they had drawn sperm on the wall and I start tripping and the sperm is swimming. And I thought, uh-huh. I, and I kept blinking being like, that can't be swimming. Right. Like blinking. Like I, I can't, that can't be. And I was like, it's swimming. And I realized the stability of it. that I thought was there is not there. The reality right. is much more li- liquidy. <laughs> and yes, uh, that was, yeah, that was very potent. Like it helped me feel like there was a bigger universe than the one that I was growing up in. And, um, 
And I also had, and I won't go into it, but I, I, I talk about it in that psychosis in the college video. I also had an out-of-body experience with, uh, with Earth, with Gaia, with Mother Earth, um, that profoundly altered the course of my life, too, and allowed me to walk away from my religious upbringing, which was necessary for me. I respect if people want to stay religious, but um, that was like, you know, I had this very transcendent, powerful experience that allowed me to become very literally a new person. So, right. huge fan. Yeah. Yeah, to me, it's like, with mushrooms in particular, my that's where my most extensive experience is, is with, with psilocybin mushrooms, is it's like, you mentioned, the, it, it, it gives you this awareness of the liquidity of life. To me, yeah, uh, the term I use, but I think it's along the same lines, the same messaging, is like, it's like all of a sudden you put on these, when you're on mushrooms, you put on these glasses, and to me, it's like I'm seeing the vibrational nature, the vibrational energetic nature of existence. Like everything is resonating at some sort of frequency. And like we, we go throughout uh-huh. our, our, our world in normal consciousness and it's like, oh, that's a stationary rock or, you know, that's a tree or, you know, that's my ceiling of my roof. And then all of a sudden you're on mushrooms and it's like you put on this glasses that allows you to like see deeper into physical reality and to see, holy shit, uh-huh. there's actually something going on that's much deeper than on the surface of what we per- perceive as physical reality. And not only can I perceive there's something much different than the physical reality that I'm seeing, I'm actually in- inexorably connected to that physical reality. Like the energy that's vibrating in my ceiling, that I can literally see like the energy in my ceiling. I am part of that energy, like that energy, yeah. me and the roof are kind of the same thing. And I'm always left, always left with after a psilocybin experience with this notion that like this almost like telepathic notion, not that I'm like, think that I'm communicating telepathically with someone that we're like having a conversation via our minds, but that like I am inexorably connected to every single living being. That like, yeah, yeah like, maybe mm. I, I've take maybe this Alex form takes like kind of like this tall blonde broy looking form, <laughs> but like I am actually the exact same thing as that little Mexican lady selling tamales on the corner. Like she is just kind of like a different branch of the same tree that I am, and I'm always mm-hmm. left with that palpable notion. And look, that's what these plants are here for. This plants. They did not evolve for humans. They've been around for tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions of years. They're here for species. Other species use them. Moths, uh, caribou, goats. They, and and uh, other species use psycho ants, use psychoactive uh, substances. And it opens their consciousness because plants have consciousness and so do bugs, so do bacteria. It opens their consciousness to um, to kind of extra perceptory ways of understanding their environment, and that's a very 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 useful, uh, I'm say product on the plant on and fungi on Earth, so that um, so that species can grow. I mean, you need that. You need, and, and that's how it's been in our lives. It sounds like we've grown by having extrasensory yep. uh, perceptions, and so do, so does Earth. So these are, and there's hundreds of them everywhere on, on all continents except for Antarctica. So they're part of the earth system, the body, the body of yeah. earth. And they belong here and they're powerful. They're wonderful. 
And um, yeah, they're dangerous too, but I don't like to harp on that. I just feel like there's way too much focus on the danger. And, um, and and, uh, I'm also also a big fan of people taking extraordinary risks. Like, look, I've had a bad trip. I've taken, I've taken, well, I've taken way too, you know, but, but, and, and getting back to the privilege, I mean, that has to be accounted for. I mean, one has to be looking at, their environment and how people are going to react to them, all that stuff. So with that said, I mean, I look, I've taken massive doses and almost lost my mind, actually have lost my mind. So, and almost done completely crazy things, but look, I wouldn't trade them. I mean, I just feel like right. that this is so, and, and, and these, look, I'm, a, I'm about to be presenting at a conference on madness and psychedelics. And that conference is going to get at some of the nuances of this stuff. Um, because it, so, so there does need to be more in-depth conversations because some of the experiences you have while on psychedelics uh, mimic are very similar to the kinds of experiences you have if you undergo yep. what we call psychosis. Psychosis, mm-hmm. and so I think there's yep. also potential for people for people who might have what we call psychosis to, to, for psychedelics to be a useful uh, um, force in their life to help them uh, better navigate some of that stuff. I picture this world where like, if you're 16 and you, you know, you take psychedelics and you go through your mind goes way out there and like, you know, you're you're having all these um, uh, hallucinogenic experiences. If you can learn to navigate that, if you've got a guide that can help you navigate that terrain, then if later in life you have a breakdown and you start being in extra realities or alternate realities, you're going to have some familiarity with it so actually yep. it's funny because the whole psychiatric community is saying we, we can't give these drugs to people with diagnoses of bipolar you know fuck you guys first of all these plants don't belong to you like y'all don't get to say who yep. can take these plants but the second thing is why don't we look at it like actually it could be a really useful way for people yep. to understand those altered realities and yeah like some of the some of the plants can tip people over into a more permanent state of madness and that has to be accounted for but it's probably, but but that's all problematic to even say that. And in, in in any case, it's not a large portion of people that that would happen to. So, I'm I'm excited about there being much more conversation. I'm really worried about them being controlled by psychiatry, um, and psychology. I just think that that's a terrible idea. But that's the way it's going to go. Yeah. And I just hope that a lot of other people are able to access them outside of that. You know, outside of being on a couch therapist with a, a mask over your eyes. I mean, I think, I think yeah. we need to be taking more risks right now. The planet's fucking unraveling, and, and we, you know, we, we, need, we need new consciousnesses uh, to emerge and listen to the consciousnesses that are around right now that have, have you know, really novel ideas about how to live on the planet. Yeah. And you mentioned the danger thing, and certainly, the, I mean, they, they come with their own risks, psychedelics. <laughs> Dude. Uh-huh. I grew up in suburban Atlanta in the same environment essentially you grew up in. We went to essentially replica high schools in replica towns. Mm-hmm. Um, I went off to the University of Georgia, graduated from the University of Georgia. I've always been a social guy. I've never had issues ever making friends or finding a social group or any of that. I say all that to say I've done plenty of partying. I've done plenty of alcohol drinking of copious mm-hmm. amounts, plenty of been drinking. I've used plenty of synthetic party drugs. I've done a lot of partying. And this whole, <laughs> for anyone to say 
that psychedelics are dangerous, and yet you can go down to any corner store in any city, any town in America. You don't need to walk or drive more than five minutes before you can pick up a drug and alcohol that will provide you, uh-huh. that will entirely obliterate your consciousness. Uh-huh. <laughs> like if, if uh-huh. there's and the most powerful yeah. drug I have ever experienced, the most powerful sense of intoxication I have ever experienced is alcohol by far. There's mm-hmm. nothing, there's no crazier mm-hmm. drug out there. There's no, there's no crazier, wild, out of control experience, more manic right. madness inducing experience than fucking pounding, you know, 12 Bud Lights, you know, yeah. or in my case, when I was in college, 20 of them, you know, and, right. and then the danger of them, like you can take as many mushrooms as you want or smoke as much weed as you want. You're not going to fucking OD and die. You can ease, I can go down to the corner store a quarter mile from my house here in LA and for 20 bucks buy enough alcohol to kill me by tomorrow morning. You know, it's right. It's and, and things like that. that there, go ahead. Well, things like domestic violence is, you know, yes. a lot of people that, that rape. Yeah. It's, it, they're, they're drunk. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, exactly. Is it that, that uh, what, what you're saying is, is spot on. And um, I mean, that's not going to change because they have lobbies. I mean, this is the whole problem with our politics being captured by corporate capitalism is once you got a lobby, you're in and you're just, you know, like, so we'll never change that. But, um, you know, which is ridiculous. But if we're going to have it legal that you can go down to the store and buy um, Jim Bean, I believe we should have it legal that you can go and buy um, uh, a psychedelic. But I and and. I'm not a hundred percent here, but I'm, I'm pretty much also believe that we should um, make psychiatric drugs, you know, Prozac, Seroquel, you name it. We should just put those in CVS and anyone can go buy them. I, I mean, I'm I, yeah. giving Dude, the, I couldn't the agree power more. to psych. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I think, I think, yeah. And opiates even, and that's really, people would think you're crazy, but I look, I mean, anyways, that's another podcast, but I, I just think, that, yeah, you know, totally like is. these are, <laughs> we don't need to put the the the, the guard of, of psychiatry uh, in front of uh, uh, these kinds of things. I don't believe, or or even doctors. I mean, look, I should be able to go get Celebrex for my autoimmune disease. I should be able to go pick it up and buy it over the counter. Instead, I got to do this whole fucking dance with uh, Western doctors. Get the prescription. It's terribly oh expensive. God. And I, and I'm yeah. just like, you know, I mean, this, look, I want to change my body. We need to be raising people to be more responsible or not responsible, but to have more ways of thinking about the relationship with drugs. Like it would have been a lot better for me when I was 16. If people were talking about how do you want to have a relationship with LSD? You know, I didn't have any of that. So I just was figuring it out and it it would have been a lot cooler to like be thinking about it uh, stronger. So, so I think you can do that when you sort of take away the artifices or like the authorized uh, state from, from deciding who gets these products and who doesn't. Yeah, I mean, and not even to mention that with the whole legalization of psych, uh, psychiatrics or the over-counterness of psychiatric, it's like, in my particular, just as, like, uh, to piggyback on that point, it's, I, tra- I move around and I travel a lot. Like, I'm a nomad, and I've been on Prozac throughout my adult life. Every time mm-hmm. you do that, you have to reestablish a Prozac source that is a whole mm-hmm. song and bureaucratic dance in order for you to That's get right. this medicine. And once you're on it, like 
If you're on 40 milligrams of Prozac living in Washington, D.C., and you decide to move to Los Angeles, and then all of a sudden, and you have a 30-day supply in your backpack when you move to L.A., uh-huh. and then a month later, you don't have any more, you are, talk about an actual psycho- psychiatric episode or actual mental illness or madness or whatever, you can't just stop taking that Prozac. No, <laughs> if no. You just I'm glad you say taking I'm, 40 milligrams of Prozac because, you know, you don't have a primary care physician or a psych, a psychiatrist or God forbid medical insurance for you to, in order to procure that Prozac, you are fucked. Like you are yeah. fucked. Uh, most people, so, I mean, I mean, so, some people can go cold turkey, but mo- most people can't. And you're absolutely right. right. I, mean, I certainly have never it, been able and to. I'm, well, and I'm glad you're saying it because doctors don't say this. They're starting to, but barely. And, um, and, and yeah, I mean, it's a huge problem. The other thing is, is that to go get your Prozac in LA or wherever, you have to show up and you have to parrot the mental illness story yes. to a provider. Yes. I've got depression. Yes. And so every time we do that, we're reproducing and reinforcing this idea of sick people. And I just, like I said before, yeah. I think that that in the aggregate leads to worse outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, last question. I remember there was a quick – when you were talking about ecology and a return to nature, I, I had a question in my uh-huh. head, but I kept listening to you, and I lost the question. There was a quick pause there. I couldn't remember my question. It was – and uh, you, you may just you know pass on this question altogether, but I'll be interested to hear your perspective if you have one. Do you think the current pandemic that we're embroiled in right now is a result of essentially what you were saying is like civilization has run amok? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I, it's, I, I don't know if I have the right way of uh, talking about it in a way that feels uh, honest enough, because I, I, I'm, I'm still very much a novice in learning about ecology. But look, nature has mechanisms built into her and um, in order to uh, survive well. And when you cross the thresholds, you start to see reactions and they're very complex. It's not like a singular reaction like, oh, we took too much from this river here, therefore we have this virus. It's not like that. But yeah, I mean, things, you know, I mean, it's worth saying that pandemics were not really, really a problem with hunter-gatherer culture. They're mostly a problem after we started farming. And, um, you know, so that it's a consequence of the way that human beings use the earth and uh and, and in part because of the numbers of people like it allows for like a virus like that to transmit a lot easier and obviously we have a global transmission system now and and so yeah i mean you know the the, the virus pops up it gets transmitted all around the world i think there's a way of looking at it like this is a defensive posture by earth because earth is <laughs> she's mentally ill no i wouldn't like i said earth is uh, <laughs> earth is it is being sickened and and these are the kinds of reactions that we can expect and you know i mean i would look at a hurricane in the same way and um so 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 i think it's 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 part of the the thing look ecologically everyone's focused on carbon i mean but if we're going to focus on some element we need to focus on water that water vapor holds is way more potent of a greenhouse gas and carbon, way more. But people don't cool. talk about it because it's it's very complicated. And so the scientific community decided to kind of go with carbon because people can understand that better. But water, water is a huge thing. 
Yeah, but water is a huge thing with heating, but let's just take the heating out of it. The water cycle around the earth, which is, you know, trees making, uh, 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 calling in water by creating these, these low pressure systems where they, they, they literally call in uh, clouds from the ocean, they drink the water, they give it back to their neighbors, and that gets transmitted all the way into the interior of a continent, and then that wets the Colorado River, which then gives all the water to the beavers who make dams, and then they, all of the water transmission going on the planet is much, you know, we think about it like our circulatory system in our own bodies. It's this highly, highly, highly important. It's the most vital um, uh, uh, thing in, in my view. And we have devastated the water cycle. So as we've done that, all of these reactions by earth, like hurricanes, but also like viruses, um, we're going to see uh, in fires. I mean, if we had a wet California, like it was before colonization, central California was so wet that you could ride a canoe hundreds of miles without getting out from, you know, uh, from uh, Kern County in Southern California, all the way up to the, what we call the Bay Area. You know, it was a wet world. That's gone. That's because of colonization. And, you know, if we had the wet world like that, if indigenous people and their cultural practices of, of intentionally setting fires were still going, we're not going to see the kinds of devastating fire impact that we currently have. But we have this dry California. Uh, indigenous people have mostly been kept from doing what they've known for thousands of years uh, in terms of working with fire in the land. And so we get these reactions. So I, I, I just wanted to say that because I think as we think about, like, as human beings start thinking more and more about, like, shit, like, nature really does have some limits here. I hope that the yeah. conversation can start to really focus on water. We need to free the rivers. We need to be uh, regenerating forests who transmit water. We need to be thinking about water as like this very primary source of keeping the planet healthy. Right. Yeah. Yeah, the way I look at all of this is, you know, with the, it seems, I, the, the notion I always hear about why there's not progress uh, in terms of um, ecological rights, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> the, the term that just came to me, uh, more of a focus on, on nature. It's because the what I always hear is like, well, it, because we don't experience it in our lifetime, we're, we're not hit in the face with it on a daily basis. You know, it's a collective action problem. No one's going to take action because right now we do have water that comes out of the faucet. And yes, maybe the air is polluted, but, you know, and the ice caps are melting, but like we're, we're not all, you know, being submerged by melted glacier water. You know, the problem is, is kind of more distant in the future. So that's why we don't take action. The whole COVID thing is very interesting though. You know, and I, once again, I, I'm certainly not a virologist. I'm certainly not an ecologist. And to be quite frank, I do little, very little research of any kind. I spend much more time watching, uh, a cage fighting than I do researching ecology. I'll put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it seems to me this whole COVID thing is mother nature being like, listen, motherfuckers, there are way too many of you guys and you are treating me like shit. So some of y'all, and I know this sounds super callous because it's, you know, the weak and it's the infirm and the elderly and, and the weak of our society that are most impacted by this. But this is what it seems like to me, mother nature being like, some of y'all got to go. Or like, so you got to change the way you're doing it. You said it when I first asked the question. It's a defensive posture by Mother Nature, or a reaction by Mother Nature to be like, y'all are y'all are fucking with me right now. And, you know, this is this is my way of kind of pushing back. That's what it seems like to me. Yeah, and I'm not sure I would 
say I would describe that the earth is intentionally uh, doing this. I think of it more like if I believe earth has a consciousness, just like you have a consciousness. And when you get sick, when your liver gets sick, the, 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 there's, there's uh, processes in your, your body that are going to try and handle that. And those intelligences are run by all kinds of complicated cells and bacteria and fungi. So I, I think, you know, I don't think Mother Earth wants us gone. I think we, we were made by the planet for, for a reason. I, um, I think that, you know, we're just as beautiful and valuable as an elephant and as a, uh, you know, like as a salamander. But I think that, um, I think here's the thing. It, this is to me is not necessarily, if, if there was 8 billion elephants on the planet, then <laughs> they would, their species would start collapsing too. And, right. and so I just think that this is a, so, so it's not, it doesn't single us out. It's just, we happen to right. have overshot everything or dominant right. culture has at least. And, and without the respect uh, that, that's necessary. And, uh, the last thing I'll say about that, I mean, population is a complicated issue too. And I, I do talk about it in my video about cities, um, because, you know, there's, there's a racist history to it. So it's very, it has to be talked about. I, I, and some people say we can't talk about population because of the racist history. And I totally disagree with that. I think that's ecologically ignorant. I think like, this isn't about like how this has been talked about in the past. This is about we can't have 8 billion elephants. We can't have 8 billion human beings. That's not the mm -hmm. way. There's not an ecological way to do that. And, um, and so, so I think that the conversation has to happen, but it has to be done with, with a lot of care. And I'm glad to see this right. starting to creep in again to the dialogue that people are starting to say, look, I mean, we're everywhere. We're everywhere across the globe. And, you know, and people rightly point out that there's a lot of people that don't use a lot of earth because they're they're living in materially poor conditions although they might be living in ecologically rich conditions and so so that's another one of the nuances it's like you know the the the, the striking problem is that people in the first world have way too much shit have too many things and there's too many yeah. so it's not necessarily about how many bodies there are although i think that is right. part of it it's also it's also what does it take to make that body I mean, to make gotcha. my body, I'm yeah. got a Nalgene body, I've got shoes, I've got a fucking car, <laughs> and like, you know, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, it just ends up being this, this complete, yeah, yeah, yeah. so, so, blah. No, that was a much better way to put it than, than me saying that Mother Nature is killing us all, is murdering us all. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, you know, and at the end of the day, I mean, I, I think these are like, who knows? I mean, so I like that, yeah. I like that these dialogues are happening, because it's very, I mean, Look, if Earth has a consciousness, then there ain't no way I'm really going to understand that that kind of level of complexity. Yeah. Um, Stephen, man, thank you so much for doing this, bro. This uh, when I oh, I loved this it. podcast. I uh, oh, I'm glad you did. I I loved it too. Honestly, like this is the most enjoyable two hours I've had in months. Um, and my life has been you know relatively good. So that's you know this is very enjoyable two hours. But I just want to say, when I set out to do this podcast, man, I didn't really quite know why I was doing it. I, it was much more the impetus was a uh, sense of discovery of self, and I just uh -huh. knew, I just had like this yearning impetus to get to know, I guess, myself better by hearing the life stories of my closest family and friends. And so this all started with me uh, after I I taught my last school year in uh, at the end of the seventeen eighteen school year, you know, I quit or uh, left my job at at the school I was teaching at, 
in DC and just packed up myself and spent several months traveling around the country, going to family and friends' houses, sitting with them in their living room and basically just pressing record on this recorder and saying, Hey, tell me your life story with no clear purpose or plan. Just, I felt the impetus to do so, but all along this kind of, um, this idea of having, uh, much more profound and directed discussions about topics that I feel like aren't being discussed enough, that kind of, mm-hmm. um, notion started to develop. And truly this interview right here that I've just done with you is exactly what I want to do with this little passion project, uh, podcast or whatever you want to call it. You know, this is exactly what I want to do. And this conversation with you, uh, that we've just had really feels like a transition point from kind of like chapter one of this effort where I was just basically kind of getting to know myself via family and friends by getting to know family and friends life story now to transition to much more conversation about reality. And this, this feels like the transition point. This was, uh, certainly the most profound conversation I've had thus far. And, like, I don't know, how, talking to you right now makes me feel like I'm exactly, I'm doing exactly what I should be doing with, you know, my time here on earth. So I want to thank you so much. For oh, that's it, great. It, all of this means a ton to me. This means so much to me that you did this. And it was, it was, you are exactly what I wanted. <laughs> and so thank you so much. I think you're a truly remarkable and powerful, profound human being. And um, we need more people like you on planet earth, in my opinion, quite frankly. So keep being you, dude. I know. You know, you've experienced uh, struggles, both physical and mental throughout your life. But I think um, I think there's a reason for that. I think the course of humanity is one of progress and certainly hit bumps on the road. Uh, but I think struggle progress is fueled by struggle. And I think your personal struggles um, are promoting a much broader progress of humanity um, than I think you even realize even though you're deep into it, you know, um, I think your struggle is promoting progress and I feel super fortunate to have been just a little piece of hopefully uh part of that progress. So thank, thank you for being you and keep oh, that's being wonderful. you, dude. Keep being you, please. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Alex. I really, I really got a lot of energy. I especially appreciated that we could just um, reconnect after so many years and have a three hour conversation that was totally energizing. I love talking about this stuff and, um, I also love hearing the kind of questions that you're asking of the world. Um, and I felt this years ago when we met, you know, like I felt um, a lot less uh, alone in the world, like, you know, because we've got these kind of parallel things going on. So I, I, I really appreciate yeah. it. Thank you so much, dude. I really appreciate this. I wish you the All best right. of luck of everything. And I know I said it again and again, but keep doing your thing, man. You're an important part of this uh, crazy experience that we're all on. All right. Thanks, Alex. I appreciate that, man. All right, brother. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Peace.